We're at 6.30, the room is ready. So uh, whenever you are ready, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Kyle. Luke Sinclair, Chair. Welcome everybody in person and online to the Wednesday, April 27th, 2022 meeting of the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. Before we commence, I'll turn it over to Becky Pepper to read the rules. Thank you and good evening. My name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission Room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Kyle Kobe, who will be helping to facilitate the Zoom video portion of the meeting. And we'll work alongside the Chair, who is on video remote, to facilitate the meeting proceedings. Uh, before we begin, I have a few housekeeping uh, items for this meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the City's YouTube channel and Cable Channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. And when you're participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. Finally, the, the city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And I'll turn the meeting back over to the chair. Thank you, Becky. Um, the first thing up is to go through communications. So, um, Jeff, do we have any written communications from the public that we need to receive? All the communications were included as part of your packet this evening. Very good. Um, are there any written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners in that vein? Uh, none this evening. Any uh, written actions of waiver requests or determinations from the city engineer? Also none. Okay, then at this time, um, will there be any planning commissioners that need to disclose ex parte communications? Uh, Commissioner Rexford, go ahead. Thank you. Um, two, um, on uh, item two, um, I spoke to uh, a gentleman named Scott Gordon from the Kansas Department of Education um, to um, have, get a little bit better understanding about uh, district districting um, as it might relate to um, item number two. Um, I'll share any of inf information that uh, might be relevant when we come to that item. Um, and on item number three, I spoke with uh, Matthew Falk from uh, Burt Nash um, to get his perspective on how that drop-in center uh, meets the community in that area. And again, I'll share that information as we come to it. Thanks, Commissioner Rexroad. Anybody else from the commission? I will disclose that I received a phone call on item number seven. It was from uh, an attorney named Pat Reardon, and it was um, on behalf of family members, I think, of the applicant, just looking to see where they could find information about the process, nothing substantive about the application itself. Um, <clears throat> the next one is for planning commissioners commissioners who are on the line. If you need to declare an abstention from any of the items, now is your time to do so. Okay, doesn't look like anybody needs to abstain. Now's the time in the meeting, um, members of the public, that if you're here tonight to um, offer comment to the commission for consideration that doesn't have to do with any of the items that are actually on our agenda, we have um, a, this time dedicated now for, for you to be able to take three minutes to offer your comments. So if you're in person or if you're online, 
um, either approach the podium or, or raise your digital hand um, and you'll have you'll be recognized and have three minutes to comment again on anything that's not on the agenda tonight. I'll cover with planning. Um, we do have some folks here in the room, but none uh, are approaching the podium to speak for general public comment. And I am not seeing any hands up on Zoom. Okay, thank you, Kyle. Then I will close the general public comment and we'll move on to our um, regular agenda section. Um, and before we launch in, I uh, was going to submit to my fellow commissioners that we ought to consider moving um, item two, which has four subparts to uh, follow the currently scheduled item, item number seven. And that's because I think we could probably plow through most of the agenda before reaching that item, which is fairly uh, um, substantive. And um, so that's that's the reason I wanted to do that. And um, under the bylaws, I think we can do that with a majority vote. So I would. I would make a motion that we move items 2A through D to the end of the agenda to follow number seven. Uh, would anybody be willing to second that? Second. Thank you very much. I think uh, Commissioner Carpenter, I'll, I saw your hand raised. Um, Jeff, could you take a, a vote on that? Uh, Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrud? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Thank you, everyone. Um, then we'll move to item number one on our agenda, which is to consider approving a request to rezone Z2200049, approximately 0.52 acres from RS7 district to CS district. Um, located at uh, 803 and 809 West 22nd Terrace. And I believe we have Sandy Day on the line to present on this one. Thank you and good evening, Sandy Day Planning. This rezoning is an application that's been submitted for as a preliminary development step for multi-lot redevelopment project. The subject property includes two platted residential lots located in the Centennial neighborhood. The property is located on the south side of West 22nd Terrace and includes an existing residence and a surface parking lot. These improvements have been in place since the 1960s. If approved, the property would be rezoned from RS7 to CS and combined with two lots located on West 23rd Street, then redeveloped as a planned fast order food use. Copy of the concept plan is included in the packet for reference. There are surrounding land uses include a church to the north, commercial uses to the east and to the south and along West 23rd Street frontage. The north and south sides of West 22nd Terrace, excluding the church, are zoned and developed with established homes. West 22nd Terrace is a local street that terminates in a dead end. A review of plan 2040 is included in the staff report and there are two sets of policies that are applicable to the proposed development and represent um, competing values. That if um, that of protecting the continuity of the existing neighborhood and also the enhancement of existing retail commercial areas with reduced curb cuts, improved buffer yard screening and site development. Figures one and two of the staff report show the location 
of the property in context to the existing commercial corridor. There is no land use tr transition between 23rd Street Commercial Corridor and the Centennial neighborhood. That is the active development pattern that has been established over time. 23rd Street is the southern boundary of the neighborhood and the two um, interacting land uses are oriented with back-to-back -back relationships um, that are um, typically only separated by a solid fence. The proposed change creates the opportunity to redevelop the commercial corridor with improved access by reducing and consolidating curb cuts on 23rd Street, developing an appropriate landscape buffer on the north side of the property. Much of the Centennial neighborhood was developed in the 1960s and 70s and residential density in the neighborhood is typically very low with small pockets of higher density residential development in the northeast and northwest portions of the neighborhood. There's no existing neighborhood plan for this area and 23rd Street corridor plan recommends consolidating access points along the corridor as properties redevelop. The two lots included in the zoning request were developed in 63 and 66 and the existing surface parking lot appears to have previously served for overflow parking for the church. Approval of the request would result in the loss of one existing dwelling along West 22nd Terrace and the existing surface lot would be lost for the parking or for potentially residential development. If approved, the commercial boundary would be extended into the established residential portion of the neighborhood and conversely by rezoning, the property can be consolidated in the property along 23rd Street to a more modern appropriately sized building and buffer yard screening that could be developed for the site. The buffer yard could mitigate activity of the commercial corridor. Additionally, consolidating the multiple drives along the corridor would benefit the existing commercial character of the corridor, improve vehicular circulation. Multiple communications are included in your packet. The concept plan is included for reference that has not been reviewed for code compliance as a site plan. And if approved, additional review of the site would be required, including submission of subdivision and site plan for review and compliance with both the land development code and the commercial design guidelines. I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have about the project. The applicant is, uh, I believe, in the commission room and prepared to answer questions. And I know that there are a number of um, property owners in the neighborhood that are also on the call. Thank you, Sandy. Um, the applicant, if you're in the hearing room, representative, please step up to the podium and uh, just know that you have 10 minutes um, to offer your presentation, after which we'll have some public comment. Great. Hi, good evening, members of the Planning Commission. Um, my name is Mitchell Reynolds, and I'm with Coal Valley Partners, a real estate development firm based in Portland, Oregon. First, thank you all for serving on the commission and thanks to the, to the city staff for working with us this past several months through multiple iterations to get to where we are today. As a firm, we aim to provide high quality design and building quality while fostering collaboration between our design team and the municipalities, planners and neighbors. We are under contract to purchase this property from Mr. John Webb. The property was on the market with the intent that it would be sold and either retenanted or redeveloped by a new ownership group. The existing uses on the property are a CBD vape shop, title loan shop, single family home, and a non-zoning compliant parking lot. All of the existing leases are month to month and are set to terminate at the end of this year. 
As Sandy explained, our request is to rezone the two parcels on 22nd Terrace, 803 and 809 West 22nd Terrace from RS7 to CS Full Commercial. Our intent is to combine all four parcels of this location for the development of a Dutch Bros coffee shop. We're appreciative of the staff's recommendation of rezoning approval based on land use recommendations in plan 2040. For those that are not familiar with the brand, Dutch Bros Coffee is an Oregon-based coffee shop with over 500 stores nationwide. It is a predominantly takeaway operation with some occasional on-site coffee and beverage consumption at the outdoor patio. Dutch Bros is very popular among high school and college students and has a big following nationally through social media campaigns and the brand's vibrant and energetic staff. It is also important to note Dutch Bros commitment to the communities that they serve. Through the Dutch Bros Foundation, they interact with schools and fundraise for local organizations and nonprofits. In 2020, they donated over $7 million to local causes and seek to increase that number each year. Dutch Bros hires about 50 people for each of their stores and instills a fun and energetic spirit in each of their employees. They thrive as being a human-driven company and are excited to greet customers and neighbors. A big part of Dutch Bros Coffee's success is their quick speed of service, which is maintained by runner employees with tablets, taking orders along the middle sidewalk in the drive-thru. Drinks are made by the staff within the building and are picked up by the customer as they pull up to the drive-thru window or handed to the customer um, via the runner employees, which the customer is then able to exit through the escape lane if their drink is ready before they are able to make it up to the drive-thru window. The layout of the Dutch Bros Coffee drive-thru and parking lot is designed to contain all of the drive-thru customers and parking for customers picking up their order from the walk-up window. It's important to note there's no outdoor microphone system and no speaker box for orders. This rezoning will complement the deeper commercial sector from Louisiana Street along West 23rd Street. While there is adjacent residential use, the current property is being used as a parking lot and has been since the 1960s, which is a non-conforming use within RS7 zoning. We had a productive public outreach meeting on Tuesday, April 12th, and met with several neighbors around the property as well as Pastor Park and of Redemption Hill Church. We understand that the church has been using the parking lot on 22nd Terrace for their congregation, and that it provides accessible parking and entry into the church. While we won't be able to keep the existing parking lot in our proposed redevelopment of the property, we do want to propose adding four true ADA parking spaces and associated ADA ramps on the northeast corner of the property, all of course at our own cost and expense for the sole use of the church. We are committed to assuring this development is not a hindrance to the neighborhood, but rather a benefit. Please refer to the plan on page 20 of the PC agenda item report. Regarding the site plan and layout of the site, we are proposing a net reduction of one curb cut access point along West 23rd. We will remove the existing driveway on the west side of the property and will fill in the removed drive aisle with a sidewalk and landscaping, which is in line with the 23rd Street corridor study that the Lawrence Planning Office has enacted since September 2002. Based on the city's requirement to buffer the project from adjacent residential zoning and West 22nd Terrace, the site plan contemplates an extensive landscaping buffer, complete with a winding walkway, benches, and a mixture of trees, shrubs, and plants. In conjunction with the upkeep of the Dutch Bros Coffee site, this landscape buffer will be maintained solely by Dutch Bros Coffee, and it's made to be enjoyed by the people of Lawrence. This large landscape buffer, in conjunction with the landscape Dutch Bros Coffee site, will assure the site complains, uh, contains well over the city's requirement of 20% pervious surfaces. 
The site plan also contemplates a buffer fence along the entire north and west boundary edges, which abut residentially zoned properties. This will provide further separation from the residential and commercial uses, arguably more separation than currently exists. Our net goal is to provide a new and exciting high tax revenue generating business to the city of Lawrence. This rezone to full commercial will be a quality addition to the city's infrastructure and will provide a quick and exciting option to get coffee and other blended drinks while providing a landscape buffer in the back for residents. The addition of a landscape buffer and fence between the residential and commercial uses will provide a stronger separation between use groups and falls in line with the 23rd Street corridor study. As Sandy mentioned, once we have a successful rezone, we will proceed with our administrative site plan review with the Lawrence Planning Office. During that process, we will work with their team to provide review and obtain approval for the more intricate elements of the site plan and will assure that all elements meet or exceed the constraints of building civil and life safety codes. Based on the planning staff's review of this rezone in reference to plan 2040 and the positive impacts that the proposed development will have on the planning and zoning characteristics of the 23rd Street corridor and the community, we are grateful for the recommendation for rezoning approval from planning staff. I would like to thank the Planning Commission for the time to discuss this proposed rezone and look forward to answering any questions and responding to comments. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Reynolds. Um, We'll open it up to public comment now. Um, if anybody is here tonight, either in person or on the line, um, we will recognize you and then you can um, have three minutes to, to offer your comments. Je or, uh, Kyle, I guess I would, I would ask first, do you, do you know if anybody's um, in person for this particular matter? How could we with playing? Uh, no. Okay. Um, I noticed, I think the first hand I noticed go up was uh, Kelly McIvers. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. No, you did very well. Kelly is exactly it. Let me take my hand down. Hey ma'am, would you, as you start, would you be able to um, state your address too for the record? Sounds good. Hi, I'm Kelly McIver and I'm the owner of 815 West 22nd Terrace. Excuse me if I get emotional. The home right next door to the two residential lots we are discussing. As indicated in my email of April 12th to Coal Valley Partners as well as CC to the commission in your packets, I'm against having this rezoned for commercial property to be built next to my house. Air quality. While there's certainly an attempt to mitigate the visual blight it will bring to that end of our neighborhood, no amount of garden or fencing is going to be able to keep the exhaust from that number of slow moving idling cars that go deep into the areas of those two residentially zoned lots from delivering a substantial amount of bad air quality, both in general, but specifically to my residential property. That air quality issue alone should be a deal breaker for rezoning in my view, but as I will no longer have the free and easy use of my my property during business hours, and that's if there are any non-biz hours. Most Dutch Bros biz hours are at minimum 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. Most days till 11 p.m. or midnight, and many operations are actually open 24-7. So in Lawrence, a vibrant college town, maybe they'll decide they can benefit being open 24-7. Then I got nothing. And this isn't just the backyard, but being able to open windows on the backside to let the normal fresh air in. 
noise. Coal Valley has assured us there are no squawk boxes for ordering. Great. Are they or any future vendor prevented from changing to speaker boxes? Those same cars circling through, carrying people in them, waiting for their purchase. So you think they aren't going to be folks talking on their speaker phones or blasting music as they make their rounds? Not everybody, but enough. And again, they're next door to me, not my back, next door to me at that juncture. Many Dutch Bro videos are available on YouTube. You can check out kind of how that all lays. The light bleed from security lights, but also headlights that on that first turn are pointing straight at the side of my house where my bedroom windows are, then fanning across the backyard area as they make their way to the diagonal portion. Hopefully the fence planning would be such that there is no bleed or bounce. But are any parameters set for the fencing? Minimum or maximum heights, materials requirement, chain link, wood, cement blocks. That last one would be less penetrable, but a whole lot less pretty. Which takes us back to the neighborhood at large. The camouflage garden, Will it be irrigated? Native plants? What size are those trees? How long will it grow up to be a barrier? And what leverage does the city have over this business or any future business in making sure that the proposed garden area is properly maintained if you turn this into a commercially zoned area? I bought this house precisely because it was in a lovely neighborhood on a quiet, nice street that dead ends at a beautiful church. My neighbors did the same. Will the developers, while the developers appear to be doing their best to try and camouflage this potential project, and who wouldn't when you're trying to get a yes, we're still left with a negative impact on our street of homes. Once it's commercially zoned property, there's no going back. No matter how good or bad this turns out, it'll never be able to return to residential property, which was its original intention and is that last end of the street. Please do not make this rezoning change. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Um, I saw, well, I see uh, Larry Flotman, I believe I see your hand up. If you can unmute yourself. Uh, I think you're muted, sir. There should be a little microphone image that says uh, mute at, towards the bottom of your screen on your device. And while maybe uh, maybe while you're working on that, I might call on uh, someone else just to um, keep things moving along if that's okay. I see a hand raised from a Jason K. Yeah, this is Jason Kay. I, not that I live in the area or anything, but didn't Dutch Bros have a, an establishment down 23rd Street some time ago that closed? What makes you think that Dutch Bros will succeed again if it was there already? Anyway, that's just a, that's all I got. Thank you, sir. Can you hear me now? Yes, Mr. Flatman, we can hear you now. Can you hear me now? I'm sorry, yeah. technology. I, I think I appreciate that I'm not there in person since I'm just recovered from COVID. So I, I thought it'd best to speak to you by Zoom. 
I've lived in my property since uh, 1963, so I've been involved in some uh, litigation before concerning the where the uh, the uh, Pizza Hut Pizza Hut is now. At the time, was Green Pepper. That was the first encroachment into our residential neighborhood. Goes back then. Uh, this is just a total encroachment, as the lady said, uh, into our neighborhood farther one day at a time. Uh, the uh, uh, I don't understand the curb cuts. You're saying you're going to reduce the curb cuts, but that doesn't understand, understand that. There's already several curb cuts already on 23rd Street, uh, and now you're going to add one more. Uh, and across the street, if you go to... Uh, to Dunkin' Donuts on a morning, you see what the curb cuts do over there. So this is one of my concerns, besides the point that brought up uh, by the neighbor across the street, they're coming into her house with all the pollution and controls that they don't, you wouldn't have going forward. Uh, the exit problem is right now, uh, we, we can't overcome, but we don't want the this coming into our neighborhood. So I'm sorry that I'm not very, uh, coercive about this right today, but uh, I've been having trouble concentrating on this, but I think it's a, 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 a travesty to come into our neighborhood when it was already a dead-end street. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, any other members of the public that wish to speak on this item? Can anybody hear me? Yes. I I don't know how to navigate properly. And I, I'm not even sure I'm still on here, but I'm Craig Daniels, and I'll have a comment if you can hear me. We can hear you, sir. You can go ahead. Uh, I sent in a petition signed by Larry, the gentleman that just spoke to you, and many other neighbors wanted to make sure you had received it. I used a form from the city called rezoning protest petition and we have 62.5 percent of the people within 200 feet that have signed that with notary and i just wanted to note that according to my documents we needed 20 percent to make a protest and we have 62 percent of the people notarized on that petition protesting your rezoning change. I also have a little map with it that shows you it's all the people that live right next to it. They're all protesting the zoning change. And if that document is not proper or official, I would like to be informed and I will adjust it. And I plan to submit it to the county clerk in the morning. So that's my question. My comment is that I can't believe you would allow a zoning change to encroach in our neighborhood. It, you know, plant a few bushes in the back and call it a buffer, put up some kind of trashy wood fence that's going to all rot down in 10 years. I mean, it's bizarre. This is a wonderful dead-end neighborhood, vital, well taken care of. With a nice church anchor in the end of it. It's a wonderful location and you want to absolutely destroy it with a 35 car two lane drive through. 
with the lights and the radios and the cars all day long. What the heck? I can't believe it's even being considered. So I ask you to do your due diligence. You know what's right. Do your due diligence and turn down the zoning change. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Daniels. Are there any other members of the public? And Mr. Daniels, would you be able to mute your device, please? Are there any other mem members of the public that wish to offer comment on this one? Not seeing any, unless I'm missing any, Kyle. Would you be able to confirm that? Uh, I'm seeing the same thing. Okay. Um, I'll close public comment then. Um, Mr. Reynolds, uh, the applicant has the opportunity to offer a response to public comment. And if you'd like to do so, you have um, five minutes. Sure, thank you guys um, for the public comment. Um, it was good to hear that. Uh, I, I just wanna note just briefly um, the, the curb cut reduction. There are currently two curb cuts on West 23rd our proposal is to close the west curb cut, so a 50% net curb cut reduction there in line with the 23rd Street corridor study. Um, and then the structure, just to, to be clear here, is that Dutch Bros will be leasing this from us on a 15-year term. So they're essentially contractually obligated to maintain, upkeep, and operate this site for a minimum of 15 years. That's all, thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, with that, then we will uh, bring it back to the commission. Commissioners, does anybody have any questions or comments that they want to um, get started with? Uh, I guess one one thing I feel like I have uh, some personal knowledge of having gone there is there there used to be a Dunn Brothers coffee shop on Twenty Third. I think Jason had mentioned that question. Different chain as I understand it, but there was one, I think, where there's currently a drive-through restaurant um, and it has, it did close. Um, Commissioner Rexwood, were you raising your hand? Go ahead. Yes, sir. <clears throat> uh, question for staff uh, first. Um, uh, I did see the petition come through. Um, I, I appreciate any information I have. Are, are there rules or structure around petitions? Does that have a weight that uh, we need to give consideration to as we're talking about this? Commissioner Rex wrote, a protest petition can be filed with the city clerk at the conclusion of the planning commission hearing. So it doesn't necessarily have an impact on the way that you can handle tonight, but the petition can be filed based upon the decision that you render this evening. And, and just for Mr. Daniel's clarification there, it's filed with the, the city clerk and not with the county clerk. So that would be a, a, a specific instance there. And I also see Randy's uh, on the help comment on this too. Yeah, this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. It can be filed either with the city clerk or the county clerk under the state statute. So that would that would be valid. Uh, it'd probably be easier if they did file with the city clerk, but they can file it at either place. And the protest petition basically only impacts the city commission's decision. Uh, it'll 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 determine how many votes it would take to either approve or disapprove. Uh, regarding your decisions tonight, you are just to apply the golden factors and use the city code as as normal. Very good. 
Thank you, Randy. Um, and then and to that point, golden factors, um, uh, particularly that first item about impact on the neighborhood. Um, if I could ask the applicant directly um, to talk a little bit more about um, the protections that they would provide. Um, uh, my question specifically is around um, the uh, homeowner at 815. Um, and also, um, uh, just in general, that, that dead end street. I can see in the drawing, the buffer. I can see, you know, I, I read through the document. Could you, could you, could you flesh that out for us a little bit? Absolutely. And from our experience um, working with Dutch Bros across the Western United States, Oklahoma, Texas, um, we've had quite a bit of experience actually putting in these buffer fences and walls. Um, we've, you know, we're obviously once we get through this reason, we'll work with planning staff um, for the site plan review and make sure that it does meet code. Um, I, I believe there are specific requirements of landscape sizing, density, as well as fencing. And I, you know, I can guarantee as we move through those with planning staff and with our civil engineer team, we will not only meet those, but aim to exceed those as much as we possibly can. So I, I think from a from a fence perspective, that probably looks like a you know six foot tall um, fence with you know no holes in it, some sort of a stone. Um, then landscaping, I assume that's probably a pretty robust landscaping area with full size trees, shrubbery, um, and then we are showing that walkway path in there to the ADA parking spots with the ADA ramps down to West Twenty Second Terrace. Um, for use of the church, since I understand that the only ground level entrance or accessible entrance is on the church's south side there. Okay. Thank you. Go ahead, Commissioner Carter. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. Um, question for staff. Um, Ms. McIver brought up the, the issue of air quality. I'm curious, uh, in all of the site planning guidelines, um, you know, they're, they're very robust when it comes to um, elevation design and buffering and light pollution. It, it, is, there, is there anything you can speak to about the issue of air quality? Um, and I might have a follow-up question for, um, uh, for the applicant. Sure. Sandy Day, planning office. The code actually uh, in its current iteration does not speak to air quality specifically. Um, we would be looking um, to work with say our parks department. That topic um, has come up in the past where we try to look at uh, landscaping plans that would maybe help reduce those impacts, um, certain species. Um, but that, that's usually um, in internal work between staff, parks and recreation, and usually the applicant because it is the, the code is silent on that particular topic. Thank you, Sandy. David Carter, Planning Commissioner, if I could ask Mr. Reynolds a follow-up question. Um, and if this is the Dutch Brothers um, business model, this is how they run their businesses. This must, I would imagine this would be a fairly common observation among neighbors. And I'm wondering if you can speak to the kinds of mitigations that, uh, that the business has been willing to take uh, in other cases. Absolutely, uh, Mr. Carter. Um, so we, we, like I mentioned, um, do quite a bit of these for Dutch Bros, um, help to entitle them 
And I think most specifically Southern California, there's a lot of kind of air quality and light quality acts that we have to really pay a lot of attention to. And, you know, essentially when we do these designs, we try to design to the most strict code that we see nationally for any jurisdiction, because uh, we kind of understand environmental quality, air quality. Those are all things we want to try to make sure are, you know, working well for the public and for the neighbors. Um, one of the things in particular, which is, you know, essentially this buffer wall, um, which I mentioned, that's just a, you know, a big part from keeping people from actually being able to pedestrian cross between the two different zones um, and also from headlight output. Um, when we go further into the site plan here, we will work with a traffic engineer. Um, we'll provide traffic impact analysis reports to the city. Um, and given Dutch Bros popularity and drive-through concept, um, I know there aren't a lot of businesses that are so reliant on drive-through. Um, so that's why we're really tuned in to the traffic impact and working with our civil engineers to make sure that there are no overflow cars under the street, no potential for accidents. Um, we obviously don't want headlights or sound pollution getting into the neighboring areas. And then as kind of more data and more things come out about air quality and how cities and how developments can mitigate those impacts, um, of course, we're, we're tuned into those things and try to make sure we can kind of come up with the best solution possible. Thanks very much, um, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. Those are the only questions I've got for now. Thanks, Commissioner Carter. Anybody else? Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. Uh, can I, Sandy, can I have you speak to, um, once we have this zoning change, uh, what other controls uh, or protections the neighborhood might have for the next owner? I know that the zoning change, that's a forever thing and not just for one uh, uh, occupant there. Uh, and especially about the park and the wall and the buffer area, are, are there any protections that those things would stay if this were to change owners? Sandy Day planning, it's a, it's a very good question. So when we go through the development process, um, an applicant, whether it's this particular land uh, concept or another one in the future, an applicant would, would be required to submit um, certainly the subdivision piece and the subdivision we would be looking at um, the lot configuration, the easements, and also um, access. So we could do things in terms of protection, prohibiting direct access onto 22nd Street Terrace. So that would be not um, creating a situation where there's cut through. Um, through the site planning process, the applicant would be required to submit all of the regular studies for stormwater, for sanitary sewer, a photometric plan to look at specifically the lighting, as well as the traffic study. Those are kind of the big ones. And then also the landscape plan. Um, the applicant would have to go through not over, uh, not only showing, comp demonstrating compliance of their plan with the land development code and all of those chapters that deal with specifically landscaping, specifically with parking, specifically with Article 11 that deals with um, that integration between, um, say, a commercial and residential, providing those additional protections to residential uses. Um, if that gets 
approved, the applicant then is held to that site plan. The site plan then becomes the, con the uh, controlling document and the enforcement tool. In addition to that, there is also the community design guidelines, which would affect specifically the commercial design. Commercial design would cover not only the site plan components, the orientation of the building, um, parking, but also the look of the building. So we would get into those through the um, commercial design guideline pieces. The site plan process does have an appeal process. It is typically an administrative review where the project is submitted for review. We look for compliance with the code. And then if any party is aggrieved by that determination, they have the ability to appeal that determination to the city commission. Um, so for a future user, so 15 years down the road and it is no longer Dutch Brothers, it is McDonald's, it is some other kind of use. Um, depending on the scope of that change, whether or not the applicant would be able to basically reuse the site as is with minimal changes, um, they would be then held to that approved site plan. Um, if they're redoing the site, then we would be visiting these things again. As an infill development project, the expectation of the develop staff has of the developer is they are, they're going to be held to a very high bar. They're going to be required to have um, full compliance. So a, a, a question and not, not that this is being proposed, but if an applicant came to us and said, okay, now I want to uh, reduce the buffer yard setback. So if, it, if there's a type two buffer yard in this particular piece, um, that minimum, the, the smallest buffer yard width would be 15 feet in width with a certain amount of landscaping and say a property owner wants to come in and, and reduce that. That would be very difficult. Staff's expectation is that the, the developer is going to be in full compliance with the land development code without variances. Any variance would have to be, uh, the applicant's going to have to go through that process. Um, whether or not they could do an administrative waiver, they very likely would have to go to the Board of Zoning Appeals. And that is also a very high bar to demonstrate that you have a hardship as a result of a development that you are creating new. Uh, Commissioner Willie, did you have any follow-ups? Not at the moment. Thank you, Sandy. One question I have is, uh, I'd be curious to know if there has been any <clears throat> um, residential development pressure on, I guess, the parking lot, the, the 803, or whatever one has the parking lot on it. To date, you know, it housing prices and lack of residential lot inventory is a huge thing these days. And I, I just wonder why this particular one has been a parking lot since the 60s at least um, and hasn't caught the eye of, uh, of developers. I mean, at this point, I imagine it's asphalt and it'd be costly to, to do, but does, Sandy, would you have any idea or, uh, or maybe even applicant? Sandy Day planning. Um, I do not have. There's there's been no observable pressure from from into the planning office, and that would have been triggered by um, a request for a building permit. 
to build mm -hmm. that lot. So I do not have that history. I think my understanding of the history was that the parking was used as overflow or related parking mm -hmm. for the church that's there on the north side. I don't know if you want to, it looks like one of the residents has some neighborhood history. Um, if you choose to seek that input. Yeah, thank you, Sandy. Yeah, uh, Mr. Plotman, if you if you had a, a, just a minute or two, if you want to fill in, just make sure you unmute it. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I think I can give you a little bit of history on that parking lot, Sandy, and pleasures. The church before this one uh, was needing a little bit more money because they wanted to move to a different place. So John Webb stepped in and bought the parking lot from that church. That was where that came from. And so at that particular time, the residence was uh, occupied by a particular person uh, and she passed away. John stepped in and bought that property next to it. So that gave him the two pieces of property. So obviously he wouldn't want to develop into residential necessarily. He has that as a rental right now and has had it as a, a good tenant for quite this time. So that's where that this money came from and the, the traffic. And, and so that's what happened to this. And that's where the encroachment is coming into this whole thing. And they would be, what would, my question would become, what would happen if the person uh, and the 815 decides, oh, I'll sell my property to the Dutch brothers or whoever the commercial development is. You see where I'm talking, to, talking about this development on down the street. Does that clarify the, the property and uh, where, where the money came from and, and the parking lot? They, they, yes. John has been letting the church use that uh, parking lot all this time. Does that clarify things? Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Flotman. Um, I guess I'd be, if Mr. Reynolds, now that a, a neighbor has spoken, I, I, you're welcome to offer your thoughts on that too, if you had. So just wanted to give you the opportunity. Sure, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll just quickly just explain. We've been in escrow to purchase this property since the beginning of the year. Um, it was marketed as the four contiguous lots as one piece. Um, and essentially based on the price point, this is marketed as a kind of full commercial item. Um, given the total price point, um, I, I don't anticipate that the back half can remain as residential um, just based on the way it was marketed, um, if that makes sense. But we, we are in escrow to purchase all four lots as one contiguous piece to answer that question. Thank you, sir. Go ahead, Commissioner Carpenter. I was going to say that was premature marketing since it's dependent on a rezoning that's coming up now. Um, Mr. Flotman, can you tell me about that orphaned house? Is that a rental property now? The rental property, yes. The John Webb owns that property that he bought from when the, this lady passed away quite some years ago. Mrs. James. Well, that would no, that was before Mrs. Oh. Mrs. James owned it originally, that house. And like I said, I've been here since 1973. So I, in answer to your question, why? Uh, he has used it as a rental and, and just might buy his time until he find a, a buyer for his whole property there. That's his method of, of using this as a leverage to get into a thing, uh, into a bigger lot. There's also already down in the far west of here, several lots that have fallen into disrepair already across from Pizza from uh, the uh, Perkins 
there's a property there. There's two properties there. Uh, the old pizza, the old original Pizza Hut there is uh, is vacant. Uh, another property next door to it. So there's properties along there that are already vacant. So it's it it could happen to the same thing as what we're looking at right now. Thank you. Uh, I have a question uh, for Sandy. This 23rd Street development plan does it address moving north of the current existing limits into the neighborhood? Is it anticipated that we're going to be moving commercial up into the centennial neighborhood? Sandy Day Planning Office, the 23rd Street corridor plan is not especially a land use plan and no, it does not project or anticipate expanding the commercial boundary to the north. Its primary focus is on the corridor, the street portions and the immediately adjacent land uses. It particularly talks about and primarily talks about access management along the corridor. And one of those components is reducing the number of curb cuts so that as properties redevelop and um, I have a map on my wall um, of where multiple properties along the corridor have consolidated driveways um, over the last 10-ish oh, years, I think, um, as we have seen some redevelopment along the corridor. Um, but no, it did not forecast expanding commercial zoning to the north into the neighborhood. Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember the conversations and the heated arguments about curb cut access back in the early 2000s and which led to this. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a, a plan like we do for the hop area which did draw bounds on how far into the residential areas commercial would go and i know centennial has wanted to have a neighborhood plan but unlike most of the other small neighborhoods have never had the support or the ability to get one going such and again you know, it's almost like they're getting penalized because they didn't have the assistance to get a neighborhood plan that talked about that. So I, I'm having some difficulties pushing commercial up into the residential area. I know we have an orphaned house. Now I understand a little bit about the history of that parking lot. It was probably a house that was purchased and made a parking lot that was in disrepair back then. Um, but I, I'm struggling a little bit about pushing up because I do see it moving down the road and, I, and I'm having trouble seeing the ad, why that is actually beneficial to the community as a whole uh, when it disproportionately impacts this residential area and we have so much empty commercial all around it. So I am struggling a little bit. I'd like to hear some input from other commissioners about that. Thanks, Commissioner Carpenter. Commissioner Carter, go ahead. Thank you, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. I'm afraid I'm not likely to help you, Commissioner uh, uh, Carpenter, but I, I'd like to at least express my own kind of uh, feelings about this. On one hand, I mean, it seems like a really innovative business model. Um, it uses, you know, technology to be really um, kind of human scale for the customers. Uh, and, I, I, and I imagine the customer experience is, is, is pretty pleasant. Um, I 
And, and it's, you know, frankly, would seem to be an improvement over a vacant lot and a title loans uh, company. But um, it does, to me, it just doesn't seem compatible to be adjacent to a quiet residential neighborhood as someone who um, loves to play music loud while I'm waiting for something. I, you know, I, I cannot, I, I think it would be very likely that there would be noise pollution from the individual cars bleeding over into the into the um, you know neighboring yards. Um, I think while this approach is consistent, uh, and Mr. Reynolds has done a fine job of presenting the consistency with kind of the direction that uh, the 23rd Street corridor is trying to go. I think it's not really consistent with the overall environmental goals of RMS. Uh, excuse me. What, I'm, switched hats to my company uh, of, of Lawrence to be, um, you know, uh, um, rezoning to accommodate such an auto-centric business. Um, and also as a cyclist, I got to say, while reduction of curb cuts is welcome, you're going to have um, high volume of automobiles going in and out of that property, especially coming out, probably not paying the closest attention to their surroundings. And so while I have misgivings uh, in both directions, I'm, I'm inclined to oppose this. Go ahead, Commissioner Carpenter. Commissioner Carter, thanks for those insights. You know, when I when I look at these requests, and I'm familiar, of course, with what's along 23rd Street, and these buildings, I hope one day will go. But I'm certainly, when we look at this, I'm, even though I don't like title loans companies, I don't like some of the other uses, I certainly try to keep that out of the picture and just kind of look at the land use I'm, and so we're not balancing one type of business against another um you know this is just my approach to it you know i'm more looking at you know the balance between this commercial i mean we, this is a long commercial strip and it stretches you know a lot farther to the south than it does to the north and there seems to be that's because there was no neighborhood to the south when it first started or less of a neighborhood and as developed as a centennial. So, you know, I'm I'm really looking at this is gonna start eating away at the neighborhood, going down that street particularly, as we start to redevelop some of these lots that are in much great need of redevelopment. I mean it's not it's not the most attractive strip in town and probably can be done better. And I think you know, as far as this particular business model, I, I have to agree it is, it does look innovative. Um, I have to wonder about just the noise from that many cars parked in there that they anticipate or hope for. Um, I mean, you see double lines like behind the McDonald's and things like that. And, and I am aware of the Dunkin' Donuts both on 6th and 23rd uh, take up one of the lanes of 6th Street and 23rd Street at times a day. So getting it all onto the lot is much preferable to, than to what we have for others. But I am struggling with this uh, moving it into the neighborhood and also hearing that we have houses that are most likely rentals in disrepair just down the street making that right for sale for larger lots, just like this one. 
that gives me pause. So I'm, I don't know where I am on this one quite yet, but I do have some real concerns about it. For, for sake of uh, discussion or argument, Commissioner Carpet, I just wanted to see if I could push back a little bit. Um, I, I'm looking at figure one of uh, the staff report. I think it's on page four of the report, or five. Sometimes the page numbers that are thrown around never match up with what I'm actually looking at. Um, but it's figure one and it shows the corridor and um, it has, uh, it shows the lots. And so on there, the commercial, as I, if I'm looking at it correctly, the commercial um, uses directly to the east of the subject property uh, push up to the line that this application would be, this application involves the, the sort of parking lot and the orphan lot. And it's right up against the GPI zoning. It looks like that basically is carried over directly north of the of these two lots across uh, the street, I guess. The baseball diamond for the public school system. Right. right. Um, and then across the street from these is a is the church, I think, if if I'm re remembering correctly. Um, so I, it, to me, like I share your concerns. The thing that I'm, I guess the one thing that I'm wondering about though, is if these two lots, the, the, the sort of orphan house and then the parking lot um, are different than if you keep moving west in those other lots, um, other houses, because these don't seem to share the same um, characteristics as the neighborhood to the west. Um, and I, I just wonder if that would be, um, one way to uh, avoid in the future this sort of domino effect. This, you know, these two that are on the end here are different than the ones all to the west, um, and it's it, and that in itself is a sort of a countervailing uh, interest in in redeveloping that you know this part of Iowa. I wonder what do you think about that? Well, Chair, I I can see the attraction of squaring the corners of the zoning districts, which is what this would do, and square it off from the rest of the neighborhood. But as we all know, when somebody comes in to request a change in zoning, they look at what's on the various sides of them and say it's already there. So, so why not here? Just one more lot. It's the incrementalism that I'm a little bit concerned about. I, this rental house there, that bothers me that it's just been, it's out by itself with this parking lot. And I, and you raised earlier, you wonder why nobody has wanted to build a house there and probably because it's right on a parking lot with these light industrial or commer style commercial structures that are on their last legs of the types of tenants that come into them. And I, so it's not the most attractive place for somebody to come in and purchase it to build a house. So I, you know, I, I, you're right. There are things pushing both ways and I'm just, I just don't know which way to go on this one yet. I'm not persuaded one way or the other yet. Thanks for that. Commissioner Rexford, go ahead. Thank you. Um, as I listen to the neighbors and to the applicant and in particular to uh, Sandy talk about um, 
the process going forward. I think about the project itself, and I, I'm looking um, at uh, figures three and four, which in, you know helped me to see that the last conversation, um, uh, Luke, Jim, that you guys just had um, a little bit more clearly. If, if there is a place where um, extending this commercial zoning north would make sense in that neighborhood. Um, those would be the two lots where it would. I'm not saying that there aren't other places down the street that may or may not have um, some opportunity, but but those aren't on the table tonight. So I just look at this and I see an opportunity to take a couple of smaller lots with different kinds of businesses and different kinds of structures. And if this goes all the way through, creates a, a, a much improved um, uh, place for business to operate on 23rd that arguably um, could benefit from that. Um, as I've listened to uh, the applicant talk about their work, their plans, the business model, the uh, opportunity this brings for new jobs into the into the area, the improvement of the lot itself, and knowing that there are a number of gates that remain between today's decision and actually receiving approval. I think I'm in, I'm leaning in favor of voting yes to approve this tonight, knowing that there's a rigorous process yet in front of the applicant, that the um, homeowners and the neighborhood have opportunities to inform that, and see if between them and and, and this the, the work that's remaining, see if they can't get to a plan that meets everybody's needs. I'm, I'm leaning in favor of supporting it because of those reasons. Thank you, Commissioner Rexroad. I saw another hand. I did, was it Commissioner Willie? Uh, yes, and I'm looking at Figure 10, which has the lot depths along 23rd Street, um, where many of them are, or to the west of the property in question, are 164 feet deep, and then the Pizza Hut lot to the east is 266 feet deep. Um, but the the two lots of the southern portion of what we're talking about, I mean, the, 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 of the four lots we're talking about, two of which were up for rezoning, um, the commercial lots currently are only 130 feet deep. So in terms of uh, redevelopment, that 23rd Street corridor is pretty desperate for some redevelopment just to keep it from being blighted and, and running other um, current businesses out of that corridor um, does need reinvestment. And I would think that those um, 130 foot deep lots would be much more difficult to redevelop as they are. So I certainly see the draw of, of squaring that off into the neighborhood. I also see uh, the reasons why that would be objectionable very much to the neighbors there. And that's why my questions started off with um, wanting to know about that buffer yard, and the, the park area, how permanent that is, because a rezone is not just for this applicant, which frankly, I think that what's being offered there as a concession to the neighborhood is more than we would likely see with another applicant. I think it's it's very generous, and I think that is, it does speak to uh, wanting to work well in that neighborhood. If that can be a, more, a fairly permanent fixture in terms of 
applicants coming in after the fact or rather new new businesses coming in after the fact if they're not able to push past that boundary then that helps put a stop to that you know loss of residential properties down the line um, because it wouldn't just square that off to the very back of the property it would effectively kind of split those two lots that we're looking at rezoning into part of it that is useful for that commercial and part of it that is not. So that was my question is, is how permanent is that um, protection there? And I'm, I'm not sure that I feel confident that that is a, a long-term protection really with, with anything kind of codified for how we would keep that. So I'm, I'm very much on the fence too. Um, and I'm curious to see how the rest of the discussion goes. Thanks, Commissioner Willie. Um, anybody else have any thoughts? I have a thought. Um, Mr. Uh, Mitchell Reynolds, the applicant. Uh, I just wanted to highlight, um, thank you all for the really good conversation here. Um, just in regards to that existing parking lot back there, which is taking up pretty much the whole lot as it exists currently. Um, in our proposed redevelopment with the increased landscaping and buffer, I think we're actually gonna make a meaningful improvement to any sort of stormwater, um, water quality, because currently that asphalt parking lot, I can only imagine, you know, there's no pervious surface whatsoever on that lot. So any sort of water runoff is just going to be pushed directly into the street or the adjacent lots. Um, and as uh, Commissioner Willie had pointed out, the, the lots are incredibly short there on these commercial lots at only 130 feet compared to the larger lots um, adjacent. And we, we definitely did try and try to figure out if there was any sort of site plan application on those shorter lots and just kind of given given the incredibly small size and knowing that we're just putting a very small 950 square foot Dutch Bros building here, we weren't able to achieve that in that small lot. So I think it speaks for kind of the characteristics of these four lots as a whole um, that kind of to achieve that, you know, singular high quality commercial tenant, um, it will need to be rezoned rather than try to just use that front half there. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Carpenter, go ahead. Thank you for all that. I, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm not going to say that this doesn't look like a nice plan. It looks like a good plan and I think it does good things. It's just about as where it is and its long-term impact. So if Randy, I, I have some questions before anybody floats a motion just about what the impact of various uh, votes <laughs> and assuming we have a valid protest petition uh, what that does. So my, I guess my first question is if we have a split vote, which is a recommendation for denial and it goes forward with a protest petition, what, what are the options for the city commission? If the, if the recommendation is denial, it, it would basically the impact would be they would still, the city commission would still have to have a four out of five majority to overturn you 
and they'd also have to have a four out of five to defeat the protest petition. So the effect would be cumulative, I guess. Uh, no matter what, cumulative, it would be aggregated. It would all be the same. So there, there would be no no additional effect. They would still take four out of five city commissioners to. And would that be the same if we forwarded it with a rec, you know, with a majority uh, recommending approval? Would that be the same effect? Would it have to be four out of the five? Yeah, assuming the protest petition is sufficient under state law, then it would require a three-fourths majority, which is four out of five city commissioners, to approve the, the rezoning. Okay. Thank you. Other commissioners thoughts? Mm. One, I guess one, uh, one thing I, I'm curious about is on, on, and this maybe is a, a more uh, general comment, but this one raises it. I mean, we're talking about eliminating, I'm going back to something I already talked about, eliminating residential lot inventory. Um, you know, I wonder why there isn't, uh, uh, for as much outcry as there was about the community benefit and the comprehensive plan amendment process and uh you know sort of hamstringing um the development of of houses housing units why don't we hear um people from the stakeholders and in, in in sort of that business community uh just you know trying to fight rezonings from um from residential uses to commercial um this, and I'm going back to I, you, we have an empty parking lot that can be used for um, housing stock, um, and and I'd like to see it that way. I'd like to see Centennial neighborhoods stay uh, residential all the way through there, um, but I'm I'm really torn by the fact that it's been a parking lot for you know at least sixty years or, or more. Um, <clears throat> Uh, because we have the other interest in, in promoting infill and, and allowing redevelopment um, of sort of, uh, you know, untended to properties. So that's kind of where I am. I, I wish we had some more comment from, um, from the development community uh, that has interest in, in, you know, building houses and increasing our, our stock in that area. But uh, this is where we are. I, I agree. I think the developer has or the applicant in what they've proposed to us not proposed to us but the example they've given for for what they're thinking um about con gone out out of their way to go sort of above and beyond and i mean I, i'm not sure that anyone's pointed out yet that you know the way the way it's developed is or proposed is to specifically avoid having the cars go all the way up against 815 there you know it, it's it's cut off um, so you have the the buffer up north, and then uh, a, a large buffer on the side there uh, against that property. Um, but like Commissioner Willie said, there's no guarantee that would go that way. I think when it goes in through the through the administrative process, or that it would stay that way beyond uh, beyond the term of the lease. Um, but that's kind of where I am now. I, I'm really struggling with this one. Uh, Commissioner Willie, go ahead. So 
as you know, I'm usually the one defending uh, commercial and industrial zonings because uh, much as we do need additional residential space and units and housing, um, we still do function kind of as a bedroom community because we don't have enough employment centers. So I'm always the one kind of pushing back to say, we don't wanna lose uh, commercial zoning and our industrial zoning for even if it stays vacant for a while that that is still you know a, a community asset that hopefully will be taken up and redeveloped so that's the other side of that piece uh, if i can throw that out um commissioners uh, any other Comments or does anybody feel <laughs> strongly, uh, not strongly, but does anyone feel comfortable one way or the other? Um, uh, I don't know how much more discussion we need to have to get people off the fence on one side or the other uh, before having a motion. Um, I'd just like to point out before we do a motion, whether it's in the affirmative or in the negative, I don't think it really matters which one we do on this because we have the, probably a high expectation of a valid protest petition, which is going to change the voting requirements at the city commission. And we'll have the opportunity for another full discussion uh, with public comment at that level before we ever get to the issues of the site plans. So really, however we vote, <laughs> we're gonna have the same result at the city commission. So um, a follow-up question. So just with that in, in mind, I... <laughs> uh, just a follow-up question to that, Jim, um, maybe for staff, um, is that an accurate statement that, that whether we vote to approve or to deny that the path it takes from here through you working before it gets to city commission, that that's exactly the same? Or do things stop before it gets to the city commission to override our, our denial? Sandy Day planning, once, once your action is complete, um, following your action, that protest petition period starts. And assuming that that protest petition is valid, as Randy described, the item would then go on to the city commission. There's no stopping really at that point, unless the applicant chooses to defer or withdraw um, their application based on that, that outcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, oh, go ahead, Commissioner Shanklin. Uh, Greg Shanklin, Planning Commissioner. I, um, I, I may end up rambling here a little bit because there are a lot of things in play. Uh, first of all, I, I'm a big fan of true stakeholder input. And unfortunately tonight, uh, notwithstanding that we've been told about a petition, um, only two neighbors have spoken up who seem to be true stakeholders. So I do wonder about uh, what we should be considering under the, you know, the, this uh, overhanging concern about the possibility of a 
a stakeholder petition when it hasn't materialized in the form of people actually attending the meeting and speaking about it. Um, having said that, I, I really like to hear from people. That's, um, I, I think that's very important to us. Um, as, as I look at this lot, I find it hard to imagine that somebody is going to develop it as residential. Um, and my first inclination is to say any and all residential infill opportunities should be preserved. Um, with that in mind, this corner location and the project that's been proposed to us also seems to be very good. Um, and so I'm inclined to vote in favor um, I'm not sure that I agree with Commissioner Carpenter that what we do doesn't matter because hopefully our voices are heard by the city commissioners. Um, and I mean, they'll probably struggle with this the same way we are tonight. Um, but if that petition materializes and if more of the people that actually sign that petition attend the city commission meeting. Um, I can see that that could be very persuasive to the commission. So uh, yeah, having said that, I'm inclined to vote in favor if we do go forward with a motion that uh, suggests that. Thanks. I can see I should have been more clear in my statement about what doesn't matter. What doesn't matter is the total number of votes that will be required at the city commission. Not that they don't listen to what we do. I know they, I think every one of them is watching our meetings on things that, that are coming there from the feedback I've had. So what we say matters. I'm just talking about it doesn't matter. It's still gonna take four out of five votes if we have a ballot protest petition, which doesn't by a statute, doesn't care whether people show up at the meeting or not, just that they signed the petition and that they are the actual owner and it's notarized and they meet all those conditions. That's all that, you know, that's what's in there. And I I wish more people showed up to speak to. You know, it's like, where's the church? Where's the neighborhood association? I, you never know. So, you know, sometimes it's misunderstandings by the different groups about what their input actually is or what could it, it could be, but I just want to clarify, it wasn't that it doesn't matter what we do, it does. It's just the final number of votes needed at the city commission. Whichever way we vote, it's going to be the same. They're going to have to have four out of five if this is a valid protest petition. Thank you both. Uh, I mean, with that discussion, is there anyone that feels comfortable making a motion? Um, for or against Commissioner Rexroad? Um, if we're ready, I don't want to be premature in this, but if we're ready, I would uh, offer a motion. Um, I'm just going to pause there in case anybody wants to interject before <laughs> I start. And I think we, it, we've proven that even with motions pending, it hasn't ever really uh, stopped further discussion if it needed to be yeah, added. Okay, all right. <laughs> fair enough. Um, I'll make a motion that we approve the request to rezone Z-22-00049 from single uh, dwelling residential to commercial strip located at 803 and 809 West 22nd based on the findings presented in the staff report and forwarded to the city commission with a recommendation for approval. Thank you, Commissioner Rexrode. So that's a motion to approve it. Um, 
and send it to the city commission with a recommendation recommendation for approval. Is there a second? I'll second. Thank you, Commissioner Shanklin. Uh, any other discussion that anyone wants to make before we vote? Just before we vote, I want to say I think it's, I like the concept. I like the effort that's been put into it. I think it's a good plan, um, but I do see this neighborhood issue as one that's going to have to be discussed by the city commission. And just because that's unresolved, <laughs> I'm going to be voting no. <clears throat> Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Commissioner Carter. Uh, David Carter, Planning Commissioner, just uh, to acknowledge the the, um, the the really salient observations made by the other commissioners, I I remain where I was before based on you know the reasons that I expressed. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Anyone else? Okay. Uh, Jeff, would you mind going ahead and calling the roll? Commissioner Carpenter. No. Commissioner Carter? No. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? No. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion ties three to three. Thank you. And I, is that similar? Does it uh, serve as a, basically a, a recommendation for denial? Or do we have to do something else on this one? Chef Craig, uh, give me one second. Um, read your rezoning section. I believe you can actually advance a rezoning with no recommendations. I'm double checking okay. that right. Yes, in this instance, it would be, you'd be recommending, or excuse me, you'd be forwarding no recommendation for the item to the city commission. Okay, so that <clears throat> that is the end of it for, for us. Yes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> thank you to the applicant, um, and thank you uh, to those members of the public that joined us and offered your comments. Um, let's move on. Uh, let's see, where are we here? Let's move on to um, item number three, which is to consider approving a renewal of a special use permit, SUP 2200055, for the drop-in and respite DARE Center, a temporary shelter use located at 944 Kentucky Street. And I believe we have Luke Mortensen to present on this one. Good evening, Commissioners. Luke Mortensen, Planner with Planning and Development Services. As Chair Sinclair just noted, item C3 before you is a request to consider renewing a previously approved special use permit um, that established a temporary shelter land use located within the RMO, that's the multi-dwelling residential office district with the Oriad Historic uh, 
conservation overlay located at 944 Kentucky Street. The existing temporary shelter, as Chair Sinclair also just noted, is the DARE Center. This is a drop-in center that provides programs and services to housing insecure individuals during the middle portion of the day. A full list of the services provided is located within the management and operations plan within the agenda packet. The services, however, are generally limited and the operation intends to complement uh, other existing social service providers within the Lawrence, within Lawrence and Douglas County. The existing DARE Center was approved um, via a special use permit in March of 2019 and expired in March of 2020. The previously approved special use permit was good for a period of three years and included a number of conditions of approval that were carried over to the published ordinance. Per section 20-402 of the Land Development Code, this proposed use and this existing use is permitted in the RMO district with an approved special use permit. As part of the special use permit process, the applicant has submitted a code compliant site plan um, that uh, notes that the existing land use of the subject property. That site plan is located within the agenda packet. I'll refer to my analysis located within the staff report, um, but we'll note that staff believes this existing and you know, proposed use satisfies the review and decision-making criteria as outlined by section 20-1306 of the Land Development Code. However, staff has included, as was the case in 2019, a number of recommended conditions of approval. The conditions were generally carried over from the previously approved special use permit. However, some have changed slightly. I will briefly run through them now. First, the temporary shelter use must maintain the maximum occupancy of 20 clients and 30 overall individuals. That includes clients, volunteers, counselors, etc. This does not change from 2019. Second, the temporary shelter must maintain a minimum of two staff members or volunteers uh, present on site during operational hours. This also does not change from 2019. Third, the temporary shelter will limit its hours of operation to 2 p.m. through 6 p.m. during weekdays. The temporary shelter will not operate on the weekends. This is a change from 2019. Previously, the DARE Center operated from 2.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. and could be open seven days a week. The revised hours of operation um, were requested by the applicant. Fourth, no loitering or outdoor use is permitted on the property outside of operating hours. The city code does not define loitering. However, communications between staff and the applicant um, during the 2019 special use permit process indicated that um, a buffer time of about 30 to 40 minutes before and after operations um, would be considered, would not be considered loitering. You know, activity on site um, beyond operations, uh, beyond that 30 or 40 minute buffer on either side would would likely be considered loitering. This does not change from 2019 either. The previously approved permit also included a condition to host an annual meeting and present the findings as well as other standard annual report items to the city commission. Due to the pandemic, annual meetings were not held in 2020 or 2021. Presentations were not given to the city commission during that time either. Staff is recommending this condition be revised to um, require that the applicants submit that annual meeting data to the planning director rather than the planning commission. This may be a more accessible and feasible option for the applicant while providing city staff an opportunity to review those operations every year. 
Finally, the previous special use permit was approved for a time period of three years. The applicant had asked, um, with this renewal application, has asked for an increase in length to 10 years with a review at five years. Um, staff is not prepared to recommend a seven-year extension of the special use permits approval from three to 10 years, um, even with a review at the five-year mark. Um, the applicant did not fully execute the previously approved special use permits conditions, most notably that requirement to prepare an annual report for the City Commission. Staff's recommendation to increase the approval period from three years to five years will give the applicant a multi-year period extension to provide um, temporary shelter services and to comply with this revised set of conditions. Additionally, a five-year approval period lines up with section 20-554 of the Land Development Code. This is the specific use standard section for the temporary shelter use. Um, there is a subsection within there that requires a five-year review of a temporary shelter's management and operations plan. Um, staff felt it was appropriate to align um, the management plan review with the special use permit review or renewal review. Um, since writing of the staff report that you have received, we've received two communications on this proposed SUP renewal. Um, neither caller indicated um, support or opposition. They were just looking for additional information after getting their mailed notice. Um, the applicant did hold a neighborhood meeting um, per the original conditions. So the 2022 neighborhood meeting was held on Friday, um, April 22nd. Um, those notes are included within the agenda packet and I'm sure that the applicant can speak to that meeting as well. To conclude, staff recommends approval of the requested special use permit renewal, SUP-22-00055, to continue the existing temporary shelter use, the DARE Center, for the property addressed as 944 Kentucky Street, subject to the conditions listed in the staff report. With that, I will wrap up and stand for any questions. This item has a pretty significant amount of supporting materials. Um, both myself and the applicant, Mr. Henderson, um, is in the commission room tonight, can speak to those items. Thank you, Luke. Um, the applicant, Mr. Uh, Loring Henderson, you're in the room there if you are and you wish to um, offer um, any comments of your own. Please approach the podium and you've got 10 minutes. Good evening, Commissioners. Thank you very much for this opportunity to speak about the DARE Center and the renewal of the SUP. In, in short, the uh, what I want to say to you and convey to you is that when people ask me, how are things going down there? I say, well, unfortunately, they're booming. Uh, you know, we we wish that homelessness weren't a problem in our community the way it, ha it has been. But the D.A.R.E. Center seems to have really struck a, a nerve and is well attended uh, every day and the services that it provides while sort of minimal in some people's eyes, are important and much appreciated by the homeless community. I would like to briefly, I'll, I'll read from the report that I made to the City Commission um, for 2021. The DARE, finished, the Dare Center finished a strong but limited year 2021 in the face of COVID concerns. The center served 452 unique individuals in 2021. 
COVID forced some temporary changes in the operation of the DARE Center because many volunteers wanted to maintain a low personal profile. During the pandemic, they withdrew from being at DARE but said they would be back when the pandemic has subsided. Because of this limitation on the number of volunteers, DARE has been operating only three days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, for uh, some months. Guidelines were developed and posted in July 2020 on how individuals should conduct themselves when in DARE during COVID. The limited schedule and established guidelines help to limit the number of people who may have contracted the virus. As an aside comment here, I would just say that it's very difficult to tell if the homeless community if, uh, members have contacted COVID. They, some reported, some, but most didn't. Social distancing requirement prevented people from congregating inside DARE. The chairs and TV that had been in the rest area were removed and tables with bins, plastic uh, containers about foot square, were set up for distribution of hygiene items, ranging from toothpaste to underwear to deodorant. This became a cornerstone activity during the pandemic and will be continued when the full service is resumed. DARE staff do not do case management, but as trust develops between the guests and the staff, we are often asked to help with ID replacement, tax questions, and debt issues. Other important concerns such as housing and job searches, disability filings, are referred to the Burt Nash Homeless Outreach Team, Catholic Charities, or other appropriate agencies. DARE functions as a referral center to programs around the area and donated bus passes are provided to help with transportation. The basic programs of DARE are showers, clothes washers and dryers, coffee, information, coffee, camping gear, coffee, you got my point, uh, coats, gloves, hats, uh, and hygiene items. Plus, we receive mail using our address of 944 Kentucky. There are about 200 persons. Some are inactive. We, we never see them, but we receive mail and hold it for uh, a lot of people. And it's a major importance to the homeless folks. A copy of the invitation to a neighborhood meeting is attached to this report. A similar handout will be mailed to the neighbors within 400 feet of DARE for a public meeting in the spring of 2020 in conjunction with the SUP renewal application. Relations with the neighbors have been quiet and friendly. In nearly three years, there have been only a few police calls to the 944 Kentucky address, and none of those was for a extremely violent situation. And I would say I was the director of the community shelter, the Lawrence Community Shelter, the bigger shelter, when it was in this building. And we had lots of police calls. Um, it was just sort of the nature of the crowded situation. Um, but it was a large number. Now, in the 31 months, 30 plus months that we have been open, we've had, there have been 51 police calls to this address and one of those was a parking violation and there were others that were were not serious and then there were some that were, were quite serious but by and large it's the it's the homeless people who call right they feel in distress in some way um call the police so anyway 
it's a vastly improved situation and our relations with the neighbors have been extremely good in the three years almost now that we've been open i have not had one uh, visit or call or letter or anything from a neighbor uh, complaining and we make efforts to well in an effort to beautify the property for the neighbors who have to look at the building dare hangs flowering plants in baskets on the front porch every year and this past year and the current year, an enterprising volunteer planted a small flower and vegetable garden at the side of the handicapped accessibility ramp in the, in the front of the building. It just makes it attractive. It's clean. The, the homeless people do a lot to help keep it clean. They pick up in the yard. They sweep this um, front porch. And one of the men has... Uh, he, he started helping us at the end of the day to do cleanup and emptying waste baskets and sweeping inside and has now gotten a job working with the, the link soup kitchen, but it's paid position. And he's really quite pleased with the way his life is going. When we opened the D.A.R.E. Center, there was another uh, partner I had. Her name was Ruth Stromberg, and she uh, had a program within D.A.R.E. that she called Freedom House, which was a Bible study and faith-based activity with the folks. I mean, she was a certified clinical counselor and had been 25 years in Kansas City doing therapy. Um, and when she retired, she and her husband moved to Lawrence. She got involved with, with me at the D.A.R.E. Center. She has now moved on. She has started the Freedom Houses Incorporated as a 501c3 and has moved uh, out. So there, she's not active anymore. She does, however, on Tuesdays have a Bible study at noon in the, in the D.A.R.E. building. It's important. We don't promote any religion, of course, but it's important to have that offered for folks uh, in addition to the other sort of daily but life-saving activities that we that we offer orientation and training training is a key part of the dare overall program for the staff we have conducted about 12 trainings with different size groups using the dare volunteer manual the manual which is in your packet um, has proven to be effective for the pool of more than 35 volunteers during COVID, the center has operated with up to 14 volunteers on the three-day schedule. As the volunteers who stepped aside when the pandemic hit are now talking of returning, there will be refresher trainings based on the manual and the nuances of changes in procedures. Just quickly, some numbers. The first year we were open, 2019, was a short year. We opened in June, so there were seven months. In those seven months, we served 218 unduplicated individuals that count unduplicated the next year excuse me the next year 2020 we were open 11 months because we closed for part of april in 2020 when COVID hit and we just weren't sure how to how to process it how to handle it what sort of house rules to have how much we could be open who you know what we can could continue to do so we closed for a short while in april of that of that year so we were 11 months in 2020. We served 466 unduplicated count individuals. And in fact, in 2021, we served 452, slightly less than we did in 2020, which was 11 months. But it's just the flow of things. This number coincides, if, uh, well, 
Of the overall guests, 77% were unhoused, we say. 23% were housed, but that is not to say they were not at risk of homelessness. These people had, some of them, limited incomes, and they could rent a room or an apartment, but they don't have enough money to do everything else, particularly it's very expensive to go to a laundromat, for instance, if you want to do your laundry. So uh, we serve some of those people. So 77% of the 452 last year were unhoused. And that is, I don't have the number right now, but it's 300 and something, which equates generally to the number that the census has shown uh, that we do in January every year uh, as a unhoused population in Lawrence and the number that Bert Nash uses some. And so it's, it, the numbers are always fuzzy, but that is the ballpark uh, to say that we have basically been serving everybody homeless or at risk of homeless. Uh, Thank you. It's been a tremendous program. Uh, the people who are, who come there are tremendously appreciative. Um, I do not have any uh, say objections to the recommendations by staff. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Henderson. That's my time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we will have some time for some public comment, Mr. Henderson, and then if there is public comment, you'd have a little time to respond to that as well. Um, so don't go far. Um, if there's anybody in the hearing room or on the call that would like to offer a comment on this item, please um, approach the podium or raise your hand on the Zoom call. I'm not seeing any. If I, am I missing any, Kyle? No, uh, Kyle Coe with planning. I, I I don't see anybody. No public comment in person, and I'm not seeing any on Zoom either. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll close public comment then and bring it to the commission. Um, do any commissioners have questions for the applicant or for um, for staff? I want to get started? Go ahead, Commissioner Carter. Thanks, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. I have just one question applicant at the moment. Um, noticing the hours of operation are changing from 2.30 to 6.30 p.m. to 2 to 6 p.m. I'm wondering if, you know, what the uh, the uh, motivation is behind that shift. The Link Soup Kitchen, which is just across the street, uh, is open from 1 to 2. Mm -hmm. And it just sort of hooked up a little better with their closing time. Uh, when they closed at 2, and we were opening at 2.30. There was 30 minutes when people sort of stood in the middle of the street and didn't quite sure where to go. So we're, we're, it just seemed neater to be open at, from 2 to 6. It's the same number of hours um, that were open totally for service. Very good. Thanks very much. Uh, I have a question for Luke. Uh, sorry, Commissioner Willie. I just real quick. <laughs> um, yeah, we have the list of the uh, the calls to the police. Were there any calls or complaints submitted um, for enforcement purposes as to the SUP? Luke Mortensen, Plain Development Services. Uh, I don't believe so. I believe I spoke to our code and compliance manager Brian Jimenez, and he mentioned that there were no um, there were no uh, open 
property maintenance code or or land development code violations on the subject property. Okay, and so take that to mean there are no no issues with the condition with compliance with the conditions um, over the last three years. That's, that's correct. He would that would be the enforce the okay. enforcer of that document. Thanks. Sorry, Commissioner Willie. Go ahead. Not a problem, thank you. Uh, since we don't have public comment and I feel like the public should come out and thank uh, Mr. Henderson for the work that he's done and for the uh, service that he's providing in our community. So I hope you'll allow us to just say thank you for this. And for three years, you've provided a service that has been desperately needed in Lawrence and we just appreciate it. And we're glad to have played a very small role of getting to approve it the last time. Um, I'm, I'm also incredibly pleased that we don't have, you know, neighbors coming and speaking with, you know, having difficulties with it because we did hear a great deal from the neighborhood at that time three years ago um, and uh, of many fears and, and, you know, well-justified fears, but I'm, it's, it's so refreshing to have had, you know, three years of operations behind you not have had uh, difficulties in, in, with the neighborhood there. I, I just appreciate the, the work that you're doing and I very much plan to vote in favor of this and a five-year extension for the, C, or the SUP. Thank you, Commissioner Willie. Other commissioners? Go ahead, Commissioner Carpenter. I just wanna agree with Commissioner Willie. I think it's a, a strong testament to how well this has been managed, that we don't have neighbors lined up in opposition this time. And I think it's also a good object lesson that a lot of what we saw the last time was fear about the unknown. Um, and that this type of service and other supportive housing that's located around the city has an initial reaction from people not knowing what to get. We don't know what's gonna come into our neighborhood, but it seems that just about every one of them has worked out this way, that after it's been there a while, the neighbors are comfortable with it. They aren't complaining about it. And I'm hoping that some of them have actually been supportive, like was suggested last time, go over and meet some of these people and maybe get involved. I hope that's happened um, because this is a much needed service. And I wanna thank Mr. Henderson for his years of working uh, with this population, not just with the DARE Center, but prior to that. With <clears throat> And it's much needed and it takes the dedication that only a few people really have to keep it going. And Mr. Henderson's one of those. I want to really thank you for doing that and keeping up the momentum over the years. So of course I'm going to vote yes for this. Because <laughs> Thanks commissioner Carpenter. Any other commissioners? Um, go ahead, commissioner Carter. This is thank you, uh, David Carter, Commissioner. Uh, I realize now that I should have started my question with an introduction to thank Mr. Henderson. I think that uh, Commissioner Willie and Commissioner Carpenter have said it very well, so I will not waste people's time by saying much more, except that the last three years have been, or the last two years have been a really dramatic time uh, economically for the community. And three years ago, we could not have foreseen um, how this institution would help the community weather 
those difficulties. And I uh, praise uh, uh, the DARE Center for, you know, modifying their plan to meet those needs, for example, with the use of the internal space uh, and just serve the community as well as they could. So, yeah, again, um, just a recognition of that accomplishment and contribution to the community. And thanks. And of course, I'll be su uh, supporting this. Thanks, Commissioner Carter. Mr. Chair, I would make a motion if you're ready. Yeah, please do. I move to approve the SUP 22-55 uh, special use permit for the DARE drop-in center and forwarding the item to the city commission with a recommendation of approval subject to conditions one through three as listed in the staff report. Second. Thank you both. That's a motion to approve it and send it on with recommendation for approval, seconded or by Commissioner Willie and seconded by Commissioner Carpenter. Um, can we have a, a vote on that one, Jeff? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Thank you very much, and good luck, Mr. Henderson. Um, we have another um, SUP to consider for number four, but I might suggest that we take a five-minute break before we launch into that one. Um, so if everyone can come back around 8.23, that would be great. As far as I know, Kurt, are we good? Sure. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, welcome back. The next item on our agenda is four, which is to consider approving a special use permit, SUP 2200061, for LLI Tree Farm, a recycling facilities processing center use, located at 430 Maple Street. And we also have Luke Mortensen on this one. Good evening again, Commissioners. Luke Mortensen, Planner of Planning and Development Services. As Chair Sinclair just noted, item C4 before you tonight is a request to consider approving another special use permit to establish a recycling facilities processing center land use located within the IG, that's our General Industrial Zoning District at 430 Maple Street. The subject property is a parcel comprised of portions of um, platted lots, vacated right-of-way um, that is surrounded by the Union Pacific Railroad right-of-way. The proposed use is a private business that will accept uh, landscaping and hardscaping, spoils, leftovers, and excess materials. These materials will be sorted and processed on site by the applicant and his staff um, and eventually sold at an off-site location or disposed of off-site. Uh, the applicant intends to accept materials from an identified list of local landscaping contractors. Um, this proposed land use uh, will not be open to the general public. Um, city staff and the applicant work together to identify the recycling facilities processing center use as the most um, similar and applicable land use classification. As part of the special use permit process, the applicant has submitted a site plan to establish this land use at the subject property. The proposed use continues to be re reviewed by multiple city reviewers against the city's land development code and the fire code specifically. 
I'll refer to my analysis located within the staff report, but we'll note that staff believes this proposed land use um, satisfies the review and decision-making criteria outlined by section 20-1306 of the Land Development Code. This will be a lower intensity industrial use surrounded by IG zoning um, and other generally compatible industrial land uses, including a significant amount of railroad right-of-way. Staff believes this land use may actually have a positive impact on the natural environment. Uh, it may reduce the amount of landscape and hardscape materials that are disposed of. These materials will be sorted, packaged, and recycled, and possibly resold. The materials processing will be generally low impact, and the applicant does not propose to construct um, any processing structures or systems. The applicant seeks to utilize the existing concrete structures that remain um, from the formal industri industrial concrete batch plant that was at that property. Staff has received just one communication on this proposed special use permit. Um, the caller didn't indicate support or opposition. Again, they were just looking for additional information after the neighbor mailing notices were um, sent out. Based on the surrounding IG district zoning, surrounding industrial land uses, and the proposed land uses operational characteristics, staff does not recommend a time limit on this special use permit. You'll notice staff has recommended conditions of approval generally on, on new um, special use permit staff like to provide recommendations without conditions. However, these conditions relate to the provision of a code compliant site plan that satisfies the site plan component of the special use permit process. We're still working through some of those final items with the applicant and you'll see that they are specifically noted in the condition um, section of the, of the recommendation. To conclude, staff recommends approval of the requested special use permit SUP-22-00061 to establish a recycling facilities processing center use at 430 Maple Street, um, subject to the conditions less listed in the staff report. With that, I'll wrap up and stand for questions. I'm not sure if our applicant is with us tonight. Um, I do feel comfortable answering questions about it though. Thank you, Luke. Um, just give a second. If the applicant for this item is there in person or on the call, would you would you mind um, announcing yourself? Uh, not seeing anybody immediately. I am on here. I'm trying to get started oh. up here. Sorry about that. Yes, I am on the call. Okay, if you if you had any other comments you wanted to make to follow up on uh, what Luke said, you, you can take up to 10 minutes. Uh, I think I'm good. If you have any questions for me, I'll be glad to answer them, but he covered everything pretty well. Very good. Thank you, sir. Um, then let's open it up for public comment. Are there any members of the public um, here tonight that wish to offer three minutes of public comment on this item? If you're on the Zoom call, raise your hand. We have no one here in person. Nice. And see, see one hand raised from Jason K. Uh, go ahead, sir. You can offer comment for three minutes if you'd like. Oh, I was just at, wanted to ask, what were the materials again? Well, thank you, sir. We'll cover that when we uh, discuss uh, amongst the commission. Um, any other members of the public? Okay, I'll go ahead and close public comment then.
bring it back to the commission. Uh, before before we launch in with um, discussion, Luke, would you mind going over what the materials are just real quickly for Mr. K? Yep, Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services. Um, to my knowledge, it was kind of excess and spoiled and leftover kind of landscaping materials. Glenn, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, yeah, basically it's whatever comes off our uh, landscape job and other landscapers job. Uh, you know, every, every job we do results in something coming back that we have to dispose of, and that may be a wheelbarrow load of dirt, it may be a, a dump truck load of dirt. And, you know, at the end of the day, we need to get rid of it. And then uh, at some point, then, you know, we consolidate it and either take it to a fill lot if it's dirt, if it's limbs and branches, and typically those would be sorted out and uh, taken down to the city's uh, recycling center for that. Uh, so it's mostly, you know, rock, dirt, uh, brick, we don't uh, bring any grass clippings. Our grass clippings, what we catch, which isn't very much anymore, goes directly to the city's site. Uh, and a lot of our branches go directly to the city site, but you know, there's always one stray branch or a, a half a pickup load that uh, needs to go somewhere until we get enough of it to take it somewhere. So, uh, you know, there, are, there will be some plastics uh, that we'll sort out uh, water bottles, uh, planting pots, and so we'll have a, a dumpster from the city there that we'll put that stuff in, and uh, it just, that, that's the kind of material. Thank you both. Sounds um, good. Thank you. Uh, fellow commissioners, any other questions or comments on this one? Go ahead, Commissioner Rexford. Thank you. Uh, question for the applicant. Um, uh, interested to understand um, what clients you serve um, in this business, um, both those bringing the, bringing uh, uh, materials to you and, and those that are uh, maybe receiving the, the final recycle materials. Um, and I'd also like to understand uh, a little bit about what kind of traffic um, you would expect um, this new um, business to to see what uh, you know you'd mentioned anywhere from a wheelbarrow wheelbarrow full of dirt to a, a dump truck load i guess i'm more interested in understanding what kind of volume of dump truck traffic might be coming there and and uh, if there is expected volume of that what, what are the routes um, that they might be taking how would that impact the neighborhood well it all depends on how what kind of you know we're trying to get like maybe 10 landscape businesses that would we would uh, let use this facility as a uh, as a recycling site to deal with their material uh, as you're aware of we have the uh, Lawrence landscape is our, my, our main business uh, so we will probably be the major one we generate <clears throat> about and this, this sounds like a big number, but probably 80 tandem dump truck, dump truck loads of waste material a year. Most of that is stuff that is going to fill lots, but it comes in, you know, one truck at a time. Uh, those trucks, our trucks are already on that street. Uh, our shop is a block away from there. Uh, and then 
we dump that stuff and then in the winter typically we haul it off and find a fill lot sort out the rock that we can use sort out the plastics and uh, sort out the wood and then <clears throat> take it to an off-site fill lot where somebody's uh, needing fill so we're kind of we kind of what brought this about for us is that uh, we were we've been in business for 35 years and uh, 35 years ago we started on a residential site <clears throat> after 35 years that became a problem and uh, so the city has asked us to find another solution and so uh, we've looked at several different things this is a site that's close to us uh, it's also close to Pines uh, Landscape Center and we're hoping that some of those those landscape companies are going down there and buy material or also need to get rid of material. And so that's kind of our goal is to make something that works for all of us. It is a, a problem. <clears throat> Landscaping is a dirty business. There's always something coming off the, off the job. And so uh, it's got to get disposed of and, and hopefully properly. That doesn't always happen, but uh, this will, I think, make it a little bit easier for everybody to deal with it. So as far as the traffic goes, that is, it's off of uh, Maple Street there. It is a, a uh, major commercial, I guess as major as it gets in North Lawrence. Uh, there's, you know, that, that's all industrial zoning. Most of the way down, North Lawrence is an interesting property. There's, there's properties, uh, residential properties in, in heavy industrial in North Lawrence <coughs> zoning. So there are a few up there at the corner. Uh, there's fewer and fewer all the time, but that street probably has less residential properties than any other street in North Lawrence, I would guess. Uh, currently, it's vacant. The, the railroad uses that property about once a year. It's, I don't know what they do, but they'll bring school bus buses full of workers in there and, and park them and then evidently are, are busing them out to somewhere along the track. So that's the main use for it now. And then the other use right now is there are just other people dumping stuff there and RVs parking there. And so it's, it's uh, I think it'll be an improvement to the neighborhood, what we're gonna do. Thank you, sir. Uh, Commissioner Willie, I think your hand was up. Thank you. I had just a couple comments as a, as a rural resident on the kind of the landscaping industry. So most of the landscaping work happens in town. Uh, most of the landscape businesses, or a great many of them, I guess I should say, um, happen out in the county um, because the city doesn't want them. You know, they, they push that use out, which uh, is probably, other than agriculture, the main business that puts a lot of traffic on rural roads, enough that it becomes an issue about how many of those can we handle on, on township gravel roads because of the amount of traffic coming back and forth. Uh, and, and I think one of the main issues is uh, bringing back that waste from the landscape job, have to bring it back to the county, to that um, yard and, and store it or find a home for it or something. So I think that this kind of business solves a little bit of that issue where there's a, a close a more close by place to um, to drop some of those things and then possibly have a chance to reuse them too. So that sounds like a good deal to me. If there's anything I've said in there that's not right, I'd be glad for uh, uh, either Glenn or Luke to uh, to correct me on that. Sorry, Mr. Westervelt. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's We are 
probably the only landscape company that is in the city limits with their major operations. There's some that have some some uh, operations, but you know, every every landscape company has a place that they're dealing with these kind of problems. So uh, Douglas County is kind of unique in that they there is a lot of landscape companies that are operating under special use permits out in the county, which is totally necessary. Uh, we made the the choice 20 years ago to, to try to stay in the city and being in, in heavy industrial zoning, which is where our main operations are. Uh, our only problem was that we still had some stuff left over that was in residential zoning. And so uh, about a year ago, the the city, and they've worked with us as long as we're trying to, trying to find a solution, but they basically said, you guys need to stop this. And so that's what, that's kind of what has driven all this and we've, we looked at several options. Luke's worked with us well, uh, trying to find solutions. And we think this is a solution that will benefit uh, the companies that we own. And then hopefully uh, be able to work with some other local landscapers to solve some of their problems too. Luke Mortensen, Planning Development Services. I believe it was Commissioner Rexford who mentioned um, the traffic, and I just pulled up our transportation, um, our future thoroughfares map, and both Locust Street and Lincoln Street are identified collector rights of way, um, as well as North Seventh Street. So that subject property kind of sits right between all those those um, collector streets you know, with the understanding that those are going to handle a little bit higher load of um, both, you know, standard vehicle traffic, but um, industrial traffic as well. Thank you both. And thank you, Commissioner Willie. I think that was an excellent point to raise. Other comments or questions? Oh, Commissioner Carpenter, go ahead. Sure, Westerfeld, you mentioned plastics. Can you tell me a little bit about what types of plastics end up there and how they're contained to the property? Well, one of the big challenges that we have even with with bringing in uh, uh, stuff to the way we're doing it now is that it's a lot of plastic water bottles from our crews and trying to get those guys to, to not throw them in the back of the truck and dump them with the dirt and to put them in the dumpster. But as far as what we're, our intention is, is we have to sort that stuff out now because nobody wants plastics in the fill lots either. But uh, we're hoping that by having everybody organize, the guys will, you know, put the water bottle in the, the city uh, roll-off dumpster we're going to have there. Most of the other plastics are just, we might get some plastic edging, but we get a lot of, uh, of uh, pot plants and and so those pots, we, we recycle most of those, but sometimes when you have to slit them down the side to plant, they're not good anymore. But most of them we try to take back to our suppliers and let them reuse them. So, but they always end up in, you know, we have a bin for them that they're supposed to put in. And then in the winter, that's one of the things we do is kind of sort them out by sizes and, and either uh, use them in our growing operations or return them to the, to the suppliers. Thank you. I, I'll just make one other comment. In this case, I, I suspect I know who made the phone call. Um, and the fact that since we're now back, that people can come to City Hall and that individual's not there, I suspect there's no neighborhood opposition. And 
and this street, as Mr. Westervelt described, is mostly light industrial from a good stretch. It seems, sounds like a good fit for a very oddly shaped lot. So I'll be in, in voting in favor of this. <laughs> Thanks, Commissioner Carpenter. Does anybody else have anything to add or does anyone feel comfortable making a motion? Commissioner Willie. I would probably make a motion. I would like to ask Mr. Westervelt one last question. Are there any any items in the um, in the list of conditions that haven't give you any pause? Uh, what's crazy is the one thing we're looking at is, uh, and we grow trees, but we, we're going to need to put street trees along there, and uh, we think we may have to jackhammer out concrete to do it. And so that that may be more of an issue, but that the the trees are pretty cheap to me, but getting them installed to the concrete may be an issue. So we're trying to figure out exactly where they need to go. Uh, but other than that, I think the rest of the the site plan is just us getting back to the with the city and working through that. So I don't I don't anticipate that there's uh, going to be anything on there that's going to kill the deal for us. Thank you. Um, I will make a motion then. Um, I move to approve SUP 22-61 uh, to permit the establishment of recycling facility processing center use at 430 Maple Street, subject to the conditions one and two as listed in the staff report. Thanks, Commissioner Willie. That's a motion to um, approve it and send it to the city commission with a recommendation of approval. Do we have a second? Second. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Um, Jeff, could you read the roll on that one? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Thank you. That brings us to item number five. Um, which is to consider approving a variance associated with a minor subdivision, MS 2200085, from the lot area requirements of the subdivision regulations, section 2810A2I, for Underwood subdivision located at 211 West 8th Street. And we have Catherine Week with us to present on this one. Good evening, commissioners. And as you mentioned, I'm here to approve a variance that is associated with the minor subdivision. Um, just a reminder that minor subdivisions are administrative processes. However, the Planning Commission approval is required for variance from the subdivision standards. Um, there's no other Planning Commission action related to this proposed minor subdivision, just um, the consideration for the variance. This minor subdivision, MS22005, uh, which is located at 211 West 8th Street, contains two primary lot, uh, structures on one uh, lot and the proposal is to separate the lot into two lots to um, accommodate each structure individually for the potential of individual ownership. Uh, the facts um, surrounding this particular request is that the lot and the structures on the lot were compliant with dimensional requirements at the time of their creation because there were no zoning regulations at that time. Uh, this particular property was platted with the original townsep, uh, town plat um, in 1863. 
So it's been around in this configuration for a while. Uh, the lot would still be compliant with dimensional standards if it was not being split. However, it does present some challenges, um, which I'll go into in the staff report. Um, as the parcel and the structure sit today, uh, the configuration of two primary structure or primary use structures on one lot would not be permitted without site planning under the current zoning regulations and meets definition, therefore, of non-conforming structures since they do not conform to current zoning district setbacks. Now, both structures on the lot were created in around 1890, according to the Douglas County Appraiser's Office data. Uh, both structures were created as single detached dwellings on the same lot. Um, also, at some point in history, and staff was unable to locate exactly when in the history of the property, one of the structure, the east structure, was converted to professional office space. Um, there were, however, um, permit history um, in 1957, there was a permit for a business remodel. That's all the per permit stated. There was really no other information. And in 1996, there was an electrical permit for a professional office. Um, so there is some history. We just don't know where, where in that history prior to 1957 that came into being. Um, so this um, structure is located in the RMO, Multi-Dwelling Residential Office District. And both of the primary uses, both single family, a detached dwelling, and office administrative and professional are permitted by right in that district. So the uses are permitted in the district. And under the 2006 Land Development Code, um, the property would have permitted uh, both of the uses on the same lot. Um, and in the previous code, um, the RO-1 um, zoning, which is similar zoning in the old code, um, also would have permitted both of those uses by right. Prior to 1966 zoning code, uh, site planning may not have been required um, when that office use was originally established. Um, there's sporadic history prior to the 1966 code where some properties had site plans, some didn't, um, and they weren't necessarily required. So based on Based on the loss of nonconformity regulations that are listed in 2015-03-E2, if the structures were damaged or destroyed more than 60% of their fair market value, they may not be restored except in conformity with current zoning regulations, which would mean that potentially if one of those structures was damaged because they're linked together on that particular parcel, um, they may leave, they may actually lose a structure or lose one of those um, because they would not be able to get it back in the configuration and conform to current code regulations. So when we are considering variances from the subdivision regulations, there are the three criteria that we have to look at uh, when we're considering a variance. And those three criteria are one, that the strict application uh, would create an unnecessary hardship. And staff found, and so the air, let me back up just a little, the area that's required um, in the RMO district minimum lot area is 5,000 square feet. And these two lot, um, these two structures exist on the lot that is just a little over 5,000 square feet already. So dividing it um, to accommodate these two structures would result in a lot um, that's a little over 3,500 square feet, and then a smaller lot um, that's a little over 2,000 square feet. 
So both of those slots would not meet the minimum area. So these, the strict adherence to that 5,000 square foot minimum lot area could result in a difficulty in bringing the lot con um, configuration with multiple structures into compliance, which is what um, the non-conforming or the loss of non-conforming regulations are intended to do is to bring non-compliant uh, properties and structures into a path of compliance. <clears throat> the uses um, on this particular property, which were permitted um, in previous zonings and the creation of the lot, which was created um, prior to regulations. So it does meet current standards currently and it did meet standards at the time. Um, the uses could continue as they were on the property now, but if one were to be damaged or destroyed beyond 60% of their fair market value, that current configuration of uses and structures would not be able to rebuild as they are. Um, given the size of the lot and current development standards for site planning and setbacks and code regulations, to do so would require that both site plan approval and dimensional zoning variances um, are met. Um, and that would be a challenge um, as it, it sits today. So those, stu those structures may still not to be able to come back um, even if just one of them were damaged and it could impact both structures. So staff did feel um, that the first criteria could be met in this case because if the lots um, are separated, while it doesn't completely eliminate their challenges that may be ahead of them if they have to do repairs or development happens, it would isolate them so that one structure is not impacting the other structure on the uses so that each one would have the opportunity to come to compliance or seek variances um, as required individually and not impact um, both overall. So staff did feel that it met that criteria. And then number two, that the proposed variance is in harmony with the intended purpose um, of the regulations. Uh, the subdivisions are intended uh, to provide for harmonious and orderly developments. Um, and this variance would reduce the required minimum lot area to alleviate a nonconformity of two structures on one lot that was established to prior zoning regulations. The uses as they've been developed over time have done so in conformance with zoning regulations at that time. And the variance would not adversely impact the safety and aesthetics of the property. I mean, as we've seen, this, is, this has been in this configuration since prior to 1957 and the two structures on the lot since 1890. Um, so the variance would not adversely impact the safety or aesthetics um, in this particular case. So staff did feel that that criteria was also met. And then the third criteria is that public health and safety and welfare are protected and the proposed variance would allow lot one and lot two to be reduced in required area. Um, at, to do that, it would increase the density or use of the areas. It would not increase it because it, it's already in that configuration. It's not adding um, to the density or use in any way. And those current uses and configuration are already established. So it would simply protect the right of the property owner to continue to utilize that property as it was established and move towards uh, removing a nonconformity with the variance that eliminates at least one aspect of the nonconformity. And again, though they may have some challenges if they have to 
repair or um, want to redevelop in a different manner, at least it's protecting part of their, and it, it, it loosens the, it lessens their hardship to that path to compliance. So staff did find that this could meet um, the, the third criteria. So in conclusion, staff is recommending approval of the variance uh, from section 27A2. And I would be happy to stand for any questions if you have them or provide any clarifications. Thank you, Catherine. And do we have uh, Dean Grobe, are you here for this one? Uh, yes, Dean Grobe. Excuse me, Dean Grobe, Grobe Engineering. Um, haven't talked all evening, so lost my voice. Um, I am here. I'll, I'll, Catherine did a good job of explaining everything. Um, I would just like to add, um, the owners are out of town and they were hoping to be able to log in uh, to the meeting, but I, I, I don't see them. But, um, you know, to add that uh, the properties have for quite some time kind of been operated, or the two buildings on the on the property have operated, uh, one as a residence and two as a business. As my brother mentioned, the older brother mentioned that there used to be a dentist there that I don't remember, but that they kind of been operating separately um, and a little bit of this is driven by um, desire to purchase the property by the, the tenants that one wants to buy the property where the office is and the other, but neither wants to own both. Um, and that, you know, you'll find similar situations where two buildings are on one piece of property, kind of in the downtown area, uh, if not within the, you know, central downtown area that close to it. So don't believe that it's really out of character for this area, uh, just trying to kind of resolve something and, and move on. So I'll be happy to answer any questions. Um, and if the owner chimes in that they are logged in, uh, they can probably help you as well. Thank you, Mr. Grubb. Um, do we have any members of the public on the call or in person that want to make comments on this item? Just signify by raising your hand. Kyle Kobe with planning. I can tell you there's nobody in the room um, okay. and nobody on Zoom either doesn't look like. Okay. I'll bring it back for... Uh, Back to the commission then for discussion. Um, do any commissioners have questions for uh, Mr. Grobe or for the staff? All pretty straightforward. Mr. Carpenter, sorry, <laughs> Commissioner Carpenter, right. go ahead. Just, just a hypothetical. I mean, we grant the variance for these basically non-conforming lot sizes, which we're now gonna make legal by a variance. If uh, one of those structures is destroyed, what can be rebuilt there? So staff is on, oh, I'm sorry, staff, Catherine, we used to my BZA language there. So um, by, so, the, so they could continue as they are now. They're non-conforming. Um, if they are to split or if there's damage to the structures, it may impact if one or the other has damage beyond 60%, it may impact 
not only the one that's damaged, but it may impact mm -hmm. how they're using the lot um, with the other structure, depending on which one it is and based on site planning requirements. So by splitting the lot, um, they are now isolating the ownership or isolating the parcels. They would still, as I mentioned, have some challenges. So if they were damaged um, beyond what would be the threshold in non-conforming status, they would still have to possibly seek BZA variance for a setback to put it back in the place that it was in. Um, they still are gonna have some challenges, but um, granting this variance would at least isolate the two structures. So they're not, they're not, they're lessening the lot, the potential loss. Um, and it moves them towards a compliant, um, compliant structure and uses without, um, without having that unnecessary hardship to the applicant. Does that kind of answer your question or? Well, it yeah, it answers my question that, you know, we have a lot that's less than 3,000 square feet, which is smaller than our smallest permitted, which I think maybe there are two in the city <laughs> other than this, or three, I don't know. It's, it's a very small number. Um, I'm just wondering if we, this has worked for a hundred years. So when we hit the land development code upgrades, <laughs> Should we be looking at some smaller lot sizes than the 3,000 square feet? I mean, has staff thought about that at all? This is outside this variance, which makes perfect sense why we're doing it. I'm all in favor of it. I'm just going into some into the weeds a little bit for future discussion. <clears throat> Jeff, Jeff may want to answer this more than I will, but I, I will throw this out there. I think them with the revisions of the land development, but we're looking at a lot of different things. Smaller lot sizes are probably one of them since we've had a lot of requests for infill and affordable that type of density. So I'm Jeff can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I think I, I would concur with Catherine. I think there's a lot of things that are uh, up for consideration and worthy of a look. And I think this is among them in many respects because this is something we see quite frequently is different sizes have different effects and people would like smaller lots sometimes. So I think, I think it's worthy of a study and discussion in the, in the revision process. Yeah. I, you know, we have the 3000. I think it is something that we should discuss when we move on to updating the development code about what a minimum lot size might be. Um, because it could help in some of the more congested areas. And this is a perfect example. I hope we can remember when we get to that, that like I said, this has worked for over a hundred years without causing any problems. And they've been in constant use for that whole time. So, you know, usability is not exactly tied to lot size, I guess just for desirability for future purchasers. But so, yeah, well, <clears throat> I'll stop. <laughs> so I don't know if there's any other discussion, but I would go ahead and just make the motion to approve a variance associated with minor subdivision MS 2200085 from the lot area requirements of the subdivision regulations uh, for this property. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. That's a motion to approve the variance. Um, do we have a second? Seconded by Commissioner Rexroad. 
uh, by hand motion. Uh, is there any other discussion that we need to have uh, before we take a, a vote here? It doesn't, doesn't seem like it. Uh, Jeff, can you call the roll? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Very good. Um, that will take us to item number six. Consider approving a variance section uh, or per section 2813G of the Land Development Code from the subdivision design standards to reduce the required lot width for a lot in the CS district from 100 feet to 35 feet and to reduce the required lot area for a lot in the CS district from 5,000 feet, square feet, excuse me, to um, 1,995 square feet. Uh, and it's associated with a minor subdivision. And we have Luke Mortensen to present today. On this Good one. evening again, Commissioners. Luke Mortensen, Planning and Development Services Department. As Chair, as Chair Sinclair noted, this item is a request to consider a variance from the subdivision design standards to reduce the required lot width and lot area for a lot in the CS or commercial strip district for the property address is 300 Elm Street. The minor subdivision replat associated with this variance request has been reviewed administratively by staff. Um, an associated site plan is also under administrative review at this time. The applicant seeks to establish a new lot by combining a portion of a previously platted lot and previously vacated right of way into a single CS commercial strip district lot. The proposed lot will not satisfy the density and dimensional standards for a CS lot. Um, per the Land Development Code's density and dimensional standards, a newly created CS district lot must have an area of at least 5,000 square feet and a lot width of at least 100 feet. The applicant is seeking a variance to reduce the required lot area to approximately 1,995 square feet and the lot width to 35 feet. I'll refer mostly for the analysis and review, but this item satisfied the conditions set forth by the subdivision regulations, specifically section 20-813G of the code. Staff believe strict application of these regulations may create an unnecessary hardship upon the subdivider. The proposed variance is in harmony with the intended purposes of these regulations and the public health, safety, and welfare will be protected. The variance request will also allow for the continued redevelopment of an existing non-residential commercially zoned structure and will move the subject property towards compliance um, if this variance is approved. To conclude, staff recommends approval of the variance request for a minor subdivision MS-22-00036 to reduce the lot area for a lot in the CS district from 5,000 square feet to approximately 1,995 square feet and to reduce the required lot width for a lot in the CS district from 100 feet to approximately 35 feet for the property address as 300 Elm Street. That's it for me. Um, the applicant is with us tonight. If you have any other questions. Thank you, Luke. Uh, Mr. Warner, are you here for the applicant? I am. Thank you. Uh, Paul Warner, Paul Warner Architects. Um, this may be one of the smallest lots you're ever going to approve for a plat, um, but uh, we're pretty excited about it. Um, it checks a lot of boxes, redevelopment, um, a boarded up structure that's been there for years, having not been used. 
Um, back to our infill conversations, it brings with it a lot of process. We've been to the BZA, we've now been here. It takes a minor sub, a site plan, a building permit, but um, uh, we're pretty excited about it. We're gonna put two stories on top of that building and um, it should be a pretty cool building, hopefully in um, you know, a few months or several months. Um, that's all I got. Luke uh, has a, did a good presentation, so happy to answer any questions, but we're excited about uh, getting going. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Warner. Are there any members of the public um, on the call or in person that want to offer comment on this? Please raise your hand. Looks, looks like no one's in the room. <clears throat> and I'm not seeing any hands raised. Um, so I will bring it back to the commission for discussion. Who has questions that they want to ask? Commissioner Carpenter, go ahead. Mr. Warner, have you been in conversation with the immediate neighbors? Um, uh, of course, um, our, our head of North Lawrence lives uh, two doors to the east. Uh -huh. uh, one of the owners of this building lives next door. Um, the property owners own several of the buildings in the area, but like you said, we've sent letters. Uh, the site plan is actually just waiting on this. This item came up um, after, I mean, the site plan's been sitting ready to be approved, waiting to get in front of you guys. So letters have gone out. This has been published. Um, I would like to think everybody's... Um, uh, like I said, we went to the BZA. They got letters for that as well. So um, I think I don't think we could notify any possibly anymore. So I think we're good. Well, I was mostly curious about the one. So yes, it's two doors to the east. So all, <laughs> I think, all over it. Yeah. I, I agree. It looks like you've checked all the boxes. And unless anybody has anything else to say, I'll go ahead and make the motion to approve a variance for section 2813G of the land development code from the subdivision design standards to reduce the required lot width for a lot in the CS commercial strip district from 100 feet to 35 feet and to reduce the required lot area for a lot in the CS uh -oh, commercial strip district from 5,000 square feet to 1,995 square feet located at 300 Elm Street. <laughs> Thanks, Commissioner Carpenter. That's a motion to approve the variance. Um, do we have a second on that one? Uh, Commissioner Carter, thank you for seconding that one by hand motion. Um, does anybody have any comment or discussion that needs to take place before we vote? Okay. Jeff, could you go ahead and read the roll then? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrub? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie. Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Thank you, you too. That takes us to number seven um, on our agenda. And that item is to consider approving a variance from the right-of-way width standards for a cul-de-sac as expressed in section 2810E5I of the subdivision regulations for Fall Creek Farms 21st Platte MS 2200070, a minor subdivision located at 100 and 104 Bramble Bend Court. Um, and we have Becky Pepper to present on this one. 
Thank you very much. As you stated, this variance request is related to a minor subdivision. Um, that is, that would propose the cons consolidation of two existing lots located at 100 and 104 Bramble Bend Court into one lot for the construction of a detached dwelling. Um, the subdivision design standards require cul-de-sacs to have a 60-foot minimum right-of-way radius, and the existing cul-de-sac has a 50-foot right-of-way radius, and as such, the applicant is proposing to retain that existing right-of-way width for the cul-de-sac abutting the subject properties. Staff has reviewed the um, variance request against the decision-making criteria found in the subdivision regulations. Um, this analysis and the decision-making criteria can be found in the memo that's been included in this evening's agenda packet. Staff concluded that the proposed variance meets all three of the criteria needed for approval. In addition, the city engineer has also reviewed the variance request and is supportive of maintaining the current right-of-way radius for the cul-de-sac. The city engineer indicated that there would be no plans to bring the paved bulb of the cul-de-sac into compliance once adjacent right-of-way um, ex exists. Based on the findings presented in the variance memo, staff recommends approving the variance request to allow the reduced right-of-way width of 50 feet for the cul-de-sac adjacent to 100 and 104 Bramble Bend Court related to the minor subdivision MS22-00070 um, with that I, I'd be happy to answer any questions and I do believe that the applicant is also here. Thanks Becky. Um, who do we have for the applicant on the call? Uh, CL Maurer with Land Plan Engineering. Hi sir. Um, it, if you'd like to add anything, go ahead. Well, I'd just like to say I uh, appreciate all the staff and working through this. This is a little unusual. To, all we were doing was reducing one lot line between two lots, and we ended up getting a variance request just because of the code change since this has been done uh, several years back when the cladding operation was done. So, but like I said, I'd like to thank staff for going through this, and that's about the only comments I have unless I have any questions from you guys uh, or commission. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Maurer. Um, are, are there any members of the public on the call who would like to speak to this matter? Not seeing any hands raised. Um, okay, I'll close public comment on that. Bring it back to the commission to discuss. Um, fellow commissioners, does anybody have any anything they want to talk about on this one? Any questions for the applicant or staff? <clears throat> or a motion they want to make? Well, I'll just make the comment that having got out there, I couldn't see how they could actually ever get anyone to build on at least one of those lots. So even though this is going the opposite direction from the last two with smaller lots, <laughs> I can understand the necessity for this and agree that, you know, <clears throat> with code changes after the plat and all that, I think we meet the variance requ um, requirements. So I'm going to make the motion to approve the variance requested for minor subdivision MS 22 to allow for a reduced street right-of-way radius of 50 feet for the cul-de-sac adjacent to 100 and 104 Bramble Bend Court 
as shown on the proposed Fall Creek Farms 21st plat drawing. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Um, that is a motion to approve the variance from him. Anybody want a second? Commissioner Rexroad, thank you uh, for seconding that. Um, Jeff, can you go ahead and read the roll on that one? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Very good, thank you very much. And so that takes us to our final item, which is actually a set of items. And um, uh, we've been almost back at it for about an hour. And I'm wondering if it'd be worthwhile just taking one five minute break, just to everybody loosen up, uh, get a snack or something, a cup of tea, and then we can finish it out. Um, so if everyone can be back a little before 920, that'd be great. Good to go. You got it. Okay. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we are going to move on to items 2A through D. Um, uh, 2A is to consider approving a request to annex A2200050, approximately. Uh, 61 acres located on three unaddressed parcels to the east of 1760 East 1100 Road. 2B is to consider uh, approving a request to rezone Z2200051, approximately eight acres located east of 1760 East 1100 Road from CP District to GPI District. 2C is to consider approving a request to rezone Z2200052, approximately 12.2 acres located east of the parcel addressed as 1760 East 1100 Road from CP District to OS District. And finally, 2D is um, to consider approving a request to rezone Z2200053, approximately 40.8 40 acres located east of 1760 East 1100 Road from CP District to RS5 District. Um, and I believe uh, Mary Miller is the planner and she's gonna present these four um, items together. Thank you, uh, commissioners. I will be sharing my screen, just one second. Yes, as you mentioned, I will be um, discussing all these items together. I'll provide a recommendation for each one, and then I'll summarize them all at the end. The subject property outlined in green is located at the northern edge of the city of Lawrence. It's just to the east of East 1100 Road, which is Folks Road Extended, and just south of Interstate 70. The areas highlighted in blue are within the city limits. So this subject property is surrounded on the north, the east, and the southeast by property within the city limits. With each annexation um, application, it's necessary to rezone the property to an appropriate city zoning district. And this concept plan provided with the annexation shows what they're proposing. Um, an eight acre 
parcel in the Northwest for an elementary school, which they're proposing zoning to GPI, a 12.2 acre parcel in the Southwest, which they're proposing to zone open space, and the remainder about 40.8 acres to be rezoned for residential development, um, they're proposing RS5. One of the considerations we look at when reviewing an annexation request is whether city services are available or if the developer could extend city services for the project. And uh, recent um, or adjacent developments have extended city utilities to touch the subject property. So utilities are immediately available to serve this property. Uh, the yellow lines are the sanitary sewer and the blue are the water mains. It would be the developer's responsibility to extend them throughout the project then. <clears throat> the streets in the area have been extended to touch the subject property and um, extending them would provide a connection between the development to the south and then the development to the east, which would improve the traffic flow. And so um, access into the proposed development would be taken from Hunter's Hill Drive in the southeast, which is a collector, also from North Blazing Star Drive to the south and Hillsong Circle to the east, and then the developer would be responsible for um, installing interior roads. Public improvement plans and the means of assurance of a completion, and that's the financial assurance. That would be um, funds in escrow, letters of credit, or agreements not to protest benefit districts. Those must be provided with the public improvement plans. They need to be provided and approved by the city engineer before the property can be final platted. And so this ensures that the street improvements and the utilities will be available to serve the development. And in the staff report, there was quite a bit of information from the fire marshal about fire service, fire and medical. Um, he noted the department would be able to provide coverage to the property within the annexation request. So city services are immediately available to serve the property and would be extended into the project by the developer. Another um, item to consider is the compliance of the comprehensive plan. The subject property is located completely within tier two of the Lawrence Urban Growth Area. And plan 2040 notes that tier two must annex prior to development. The plan also notes that proposed annexation shall be considered when they are in the best interests of Douglas County and Lawrence residents. And recent changes to the subdivision regulations have reduced the residential development opportunities within the urban growth area by prohibiting new land divisions within tier two and permitting only large parcels, 10 acres minimum in tier three. And this is on property that's not currently zoned CP. And this change was intended to alleviate the development pressure on the rural area. The plan notes in action item 2.2, the city may at its discretion annex tier two land when addressing the annexation of tier two land, the city shall consider factors such as, but not limited to, community land use inventories, market sector health, residential valuation to income ratio, and the community benefit provided. The city's residential lot inventory report shows a critical need for additional single family lots. The current inventory indicates residential lots available in newer subdivisions represent no more than two years of inventory. Making property ready for single-family residential development can include the following processes, annexation, rezoning, public improvement plans, preliminary plat, final plat, and building permits. This process can take a year or more. Given the time needed to make property ready for development, staff recommends taking steps to increase the inventory of single-family residential lots in order to keep up with the housing demand, which includes annexation of property when appropriate. 
The data currently reflects in staff's analysis a need to support the development of additional single family lots. And um, the community benefit, I've listed those that are listed in the comprehensive plan and the underlined ones are the ones I believe this project meets. Uh, the provision of land for a public purpose, such as a park or a school, eight acres is being proposed for an elementary school. The preservation of environmentally sensitive lands and in a greater degree than would be required by code. And um, they are proposing to rezone to the OS district uh, rather than keeping it in the residential district. So that would be a higher level of protection and addressing goals of the City Commission strategic plan. And the strategic plan has recommendations uh, to create strong, welcoming neighborhoods. One of these is to review and improve the subdivision regulations and encourage larger developments to foster greater economies of scale. This annexation rezoning request would result in a larger development that would foster greater economies of scale. The extension of a sanitary sewer main to serve one new lot in an infill situation is often cost prohibitive. But with a neighborhood to serve, the cost is more easily absorbed into the project. This annexation would provide the following community benefits. It would provide land for public benefit, the elementary school, provide additional protection for environmentally sensitive lands, and comply with the city's strategic plan recommendation for larger developments and the resulting economies of scale. The comprehensive plan um, notes we should require development contiguous to city limits to annex and develop to urban standards when city services are reasonably available. Mm -hmm. This annexation request is compliant with the comprehensive plan in that it will annex land that is adjacent to city limits within tier two with city limits immediately available. And as mentioned earlier, it will provide community benefits. The property is located within the K-10 and Farmers Turnpike Plan. The plan recommends low density residential uses for this area. Recommended zoning districts are RS10, RS7, RS5, and the RM12D, which is a duplex district. The plan recommends detached dwellings, attached dwellings, duplexes, and group homes, and public and civic uses as primary uses. The proposed zoning and land uses are compliant with the recommendations in the area plan. And staff recommends forwarding the annexation request to the city commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in the staff report. There is a rezoning of Z22-00052 of 12.2 acres to the open space district. And the area being proposed in the open space district is shown with the dashed lines. Uh, this contains woodland and the Kansas Biological Survey noted that the property would have been forested prior to European settlement and has been continuously maintained in forest for about the last 100 years. They noted that something negatively impacted its condition, so they would consider the native forest or woodland as native forest with restoration potential. And placing it into the OS zoning district as a means to protect it would be one of the first steps of that restoration. The property is currently zoned CP, Clustered Preservation, which is the rural residential district, and it is bounded on all sides by property zoned CP. Uh, the land use map, this will be the same land use map and zoning map I pull up for every rezoning, so I probably won't repeat this information. Um, but it shows the land uses in the area. The pinkish purple is agriculture. Uh, the yellow is single family residential. The gray is vacant. The blue is institutional. To the west, there's a city pump station. The green is open space. To the south, there's Martin Park. And these um, land use designations are the uh, county appraisers. 
the subject property is located at the rural urban interface and is surrounded by a mix of rural and urban residential zoning districts. Residential uses in Woodland are the predominant land uses in the area. The proposal is to rezone to the open space district to protect the woodland on the site. The OS district is a limited US is a limited use district that would be compatible with the existing and future development of the site. And one of the golden factors we looked at is the uh, impact of the zoning on the character of the area. And um, features contributing to the character of the area are woodlands, agricultural lands, and residential neighborhoods. So a principal consideration to take into account when evaluating the impact of the proposed zoning and land use on the character of the area is the impact it would have on the woodlands, whether it would remove significant areas from agricultural production, and whether it would be compatible with the existing and proposed residential neighborhoods. The proposed OS district would maintain the character of the area as the zoning is being requested as a means of protecting the woodland that is present on the site. The site is not currently used for agriculture, so it would not remove any land from the agricultural production and open space is almost always considered compatible with residential zoning. Other review criteria include conformance with plan 2040. Um, open space is recommended near subdivisions to provide recreational opportunities and to create an aesthetically pleasing environment. So this open space would be located in close proximity to a residential district and to an elementary school, and it would provide a, a aesthetically pleasing environment. The comprehensive plan identifies native woodlands as an environmentally sensitive land. However, the term native woodland is not defined. It's reasonable to consider the term to mean woodlands that were present on the site before European settlement. So in this case, the woodland on the site would meet the definition of native woodland. The OS district permits a very limited range of uses as is discussed in the staff report. However, the stands of measured trees and native woodland should be placed in a tractor easement with the platting of the property to ensure protection of this feature. The rezoning request is compliant with the comprehensive plan as it would protect the native woodland and the woodland would serve as a pleasing feature for the proposed residential area. The property is within the boundaries of K-10 and Farmers Turnpike Plan. The plan notes that environmentally sensitive lands should be protected as outlined in the Land Development Code and that where possible, environmentally sensitive areas to be protected should be located within designated public or private open space. And the rezoning is then compliant with the area plan. We look at whether the property is suitable for the uses to which it is currently restricted with the current zoning. Um, the property is not well suited for any development beyond agriculture and nature preserve at this time due to the lack of road frontage. And then agriculture would not be a suitable use given the intent to preserve the woodland. Uh, the property is zoned for residential development, however, with no road frontage and with the requirement to annex prior to development, it's not suited to rural residential either. The property is well suited to the open space district and the future plans to maintain the woodland as protected green space. This district, the OS district, should have no detrimental effect on nearby properties. To ensure it remains undeveloped, as I mentioned, um, we're recommending a condition that the property be platted as a tract or easement. There'd be no benefit to the public um, health, safety, or welfare with the denial of the request to rezone, and no hardship would occur to the applicant as they could achieve the protection of the environmentally sensitive lands just with the dedication of tract or easement when the property is platted if it were zoned residentially instead. A staff recommends forwarding this rezoning request to the city commission with a recommendation for approval, um, subject to that condition that the uh, woodland would be platted as a tractor easement. 
Uh, the next rezoning request I'll discuss is the GPI. Approximately eight acres is being requested to the General Public and Institutional Use District. And again, the zoning and land uses are the same as before. This rezoning would allow the development of a school on the subject property to serve students in the Perry Lecompton School District, District Number 343, with proper site design achieved through the site planning process. The proposed school use would be compatible with the surrounding land uses. Again, you look at the character of the area, and if we want to evaluate the impact the rezoning could have on the um, woodlands, whether it would remove areas from agricultural production and whether it'd be compatible with the existing proposed residential neighborhoods. Uh, the rezoning of proposed school development would utilize some of the woodland on the subject property. However, the overall plan for the project includes the rezoning of approximately 12 acres um, to the open space district for the purpose of protecting woodlands on that parcel. The rezoning of proposed development would not remove any land from agricultural production, and the school use would be compatible with the existing and proposed residential neighborhoods, uh, especially with the review and um, design that would occur throughout the planning and site planning process. Plan 2040 recommends the following locational criteria when siting a community facility, such as a school. Locate and design sites to minimize impacts on adjacent areas. Utilize innovative designs to enhance Lawrence and Douglas County. And consider infill opportunities and reuse options for new community facilities. Locating a school within a neighborhood requires an assessment of the anticipated traffic on the traffic routes through the area. The applicant noted that they are willing to construct the planned local road, which would provide access to the school to collector street standards, if necessary, to accommodate the traffic. The design of the street would be determined with the traffic impact studies provided with the plat and the site plan. School district number 343 serves the Perry and Lecompton communities, rural areas in Douglas and Jefferson counties, and a portion of Northwest Lawrence. The school district currently has elementary schools in Lecompton and Perry. As the goal is to provide an elementary school to serve rural students and students in Lawrence, an infill location in Perry or Lecompton would not be an option. The rezoning request is in conformance with Plan 2040's locational criteria for community facilities. Uh, the property is within the boundaries of the K-10 and Farmers Turnpike Plan, uh, which recommends low density in the area. And it notes that detached and detached dwellings and cluster dwellings, duplexes, group homes, and public and civic uses would be appropriate. And then we look at the suitability of the land to the uses to which it is restricted. Uh, the property is not well suited to the uses to which it is currently restricted as, as it is a landlocked property that is not eligible for a building permit. A development in tier two requires annexation into the city of Lawrence and land divisions through the suburbs are not permitted in tier two. The property would be well suited to the uses permitted in the GPI district with the public improvements that would be installed as part of the planning site planning process. The GPI district and the uses permitted in it are not expected to have detrimental impacts on neighboring properties. The impacts from the anticipated school traffic would need to be evaluated with the traffic impact study and street improvements or additional access points may be required to accommodate the school. There would be no benefit to the public health, safety, and welfare with the denial of the request to rezone as potential impacts from school-related traffic could be alleviated with street improvements recommended by, the, recommended by the traffic impact study and compatible design would be developed through the site planning process. Approval of the rezoning would provide a location for the Lecompton Perry School District to install a school in closer proximity to many of the rural students and students within the city of Lawrence. 
Staff recommends forwarding this rezoning application to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval. And the final rezoning is to the RS5 district. Uh, the property is currently zoned CP, that's the rural residential district. It's bounded by CP zoning and also by um, the city RS7 zoning. The rezoning would allow the development of single dwelling residences on the property. And as this use is very similar to the residential uses in the area, it's just a slightly higher density, the use should be compatible with the land uses in the nearby area. Proposed residential development would be similar to and compatible with the existing residential neighborhoods. Access into the new residential subdivision would be taken from city streets to the east and south. Does that? I'm hearing like a back. Can you hear me? Am I repeating myself? Okay. Access into the new residential subdivision would be taken from city streets to the east and south and would not impact the county or township roads in the area. The neighborhood is characterized by residential subdivisions within the city of Lawrence and agriculture and woodlands outside the city limits. The proposed zoning would be compatible with the character of the area now and would remain compatible when it has developed as proposed. Uh, the comprehensive plan um, notes that we should ensure an efficient and planned coordination of infrastructure to prepare the area for annexation and development. As shown with the annexation discussion, infrastructure in the form of streets and city utilities have been extended with previous developments in the area to the property border. Extending this infrastructure with this development to the other borders will resort in efficient and planned coordination of infrastructure to further prepare areas of tier two for annexation and development. Um, comprehensive plan recommends we identify suitable lands to accommodate residential growth, facilitating orderly planned development. As this land is adjacent to city limits on three sides with residential development on two sides and infrastructure is immediately available to serve the property, the subject property is suitable to accommodate orderly planned development. Uh, the comprehensive plan recommends that as tier two develops, maintain an active and productive agricultural community. The subject property is currently zoned for residential development and is not used for agriculture. So developing this area within this rezoning request would not remove any land from agricultural production. The proposed request is consistent with the provisions contained in Chapter 3 of Plan 2040 regarding growth in Urban 2 of the urban growth area and specific recommendations for residential land uses. As I mentioned, we're within the boundaries of K-10 and Farmers Turnpike Plan, uh, which does recommend the uh, detached dwelling use and recommends RS5 as one of their recommended zoning districts. So the proposed zoning is compliant with the recommendations in the area plan. We look at the suitability of the land to the uses to which it is currently restricted. And as with the other parcels, it has no road frontage. Therefore, it is not currently eligible for a building permit. It is zoned CP, which is the county residential zoning district. Um, uses in this district are limited to residential uses and uses that are compatible with residential uses. However, in order to build a home or homes on the subject property, it would be necessary to divide through a plat or certificate of survey. However, a comprehensive plan requires land within tier two to annex prior to development. The land in its current state is not eligible for development and is not suitable for uses in the CP district. The undeveloped property is well suited to single dwelling residential homes given the availability of city services. 
annexing and rezoning to RS5 district would ensure the property would develop at a similar, somewhat higher density than the adjacent developed areas. Um, detrimental impacts would be reviewed uh, as proposed, proposed rezoning is similar to the adjacent zoning districts, except that smaller lots are permitted and potential offsite impacts would be evaluated and addressed with studies required as part of the planning process. There should be no negative impacts to the adjacent area. And the studies with the planning process, they include the traffic impact study that I've mentioned. It also includes a drainage study. Um, and so that makes sure that the um, stormwater management occurs on site. There would be no benefit to the public health, safety, and welfare with the denial of the request to rezone as infrastructure to serve the new development is in place. There could be a benefit from the approval of the rezoning as developing large projects often result in economies of scale, which could result in lower housing prices. And staff recommends forwarding this rezoning application to the city commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings in the staff report. And that concludes my presentation. I, uh, I believe the applicant is present today and I'll be happy to answer any questions if you have any for me. Thank you, Mary. Um, I, my thought on this one was since we took all four together was to give the applicant the opportunity to have a little more time than uh, the 10 minutes is normally allotted per uh, item. And so I was thinking of giving, I don't know if uh, Mr. Hamney is going to need it, but giving the applicant uh, an extra five minutes and then members of the public four minutes total to talk each. Um, but that's the chair's discretion, but I can be overridden by a majority of the commission. So I just want to give the opportunity for you all to override me on that. Otherwise, we can launch in. Mr. Hamby, uh, I think you ho hopefully heard that, but since we're taking all four together, if you need um, more time, uh, feel free to take up to 15 minutes for your presentation. Thank you, Chair. Um, I appreciate that extra time. I will not use it, but uh, I will try to keep it brief. Mary did a great job of uh, summarizing the, the project. And I want to also say that the uh, developer, Mr. Williams, is on the call, as well as uh, Superintendent uh, Elliott from Prairie La Compton School District. So I just wanted to say that, um, as Mary stated, this, this site is ready for development. There's actually three city streets that have been stubbed to this development to line it up. Uh, there's three water lines that have been stubbed to the site for future extension, and there's multiple sanitary sewer lines that uh, also connect to the site. Um, Hunter's Hill Road is a collector street, and that's what we've discussed, extending that into the site. And so, um, and if you look, it's really surrounded by the city on nearly three sides. Out to the west is the city limits and north and uh, south and east. There's a. It's also surrounded by some CP zoning of the county as well. Uh, we did look at um, community benefit, and what I wanted to say is um, uh, I wanted to add something onto that. So the community benefit, eight acres have given to the school district. Um, Adam Williams has been in discussion with the school district about that. They've started the process of looking at the new elementary school property and, and serving this area with uh, a new elementary school. And so that's that's a pretty important piece of uh, public infrastructure that needs to be built there. And so the school district's been involved in that process. I also wanted to say, um, and this just came up recently, so uh, Mary didn't know about it as well, but we have been in communications with uh, the affordable housing advisory board as well as tenants to homeowners. And so they're on the call as well. 
but Adam's going to be the first developer to provide um, lots for that um, that project as well. So three lots will be provided as part of this development to the, that group, and it'll be at the developer's cost. And so this is actually the first time that I mentioned that developers provided lots for affordable housing. <clears throat> now, uh, we did look at the public comments that were provided, and the main comment that uh, I heard or saw was that uh, uh, the, a lot of the county residents have concerns about traffic. And um, as I mentioned before, all the traffic from this development will exit onto city streets. There will be no um, access to E1100 Road, E1130 Road, or N1750 Road. Um, there's no connection of this property to any of those. And so the, uh, the intent is to provide access onto those existing city streets. With that, I'd be happy to take any questions. And again, the, um, the developers here for questions as well as the superintendent for Prairie Lake Compton School District. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hamby. I'm sure there will be questions. Um, yeah, are there any members of the public either in person or on the call that would like to offer comment on this matter, on these four, any of the four? Um, Kyle, has anyone showed up in person? Kyle, are we only dealing with people online at this point? Uh, just via Zoom, we don't have anybody in the room. Okay. See a couple of hands up. Uh, how about Mani Sukup? I think you're still uh, muted, sir. Okay, Monty Sokup, 5750 Yankee Tank Court. Um, I serve as the chair of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board for the city of Lawrence, Douglas County. I'm not necessarily acting on behalf of Mr. Hamby and uh, Mr. Williams reached out to me to make a connection uh, to talk about affordable housing. And um, I, in turn, put them in connection with uh, Rebecca Buford at Tennis, the homeowners. And uh, I'm going to keep this short because she will have more of the details on uh, what's going on. But I wanted to just provide a little bit of support that, uh, you know, it's just super fantastic to have a private developer reach out to us and uh, want to partner on affordable housing. So that's in my comment. Thank you. Thank you, Monty. Um, any other members of the public? Uh, go ahead, uh, Rebecca Buford. Yeah, um, I was uh, asked, or it, Andy Williams reached out to me, uh, the developer, and I think it's great to, you know, it's an at-cost land that at least three lots will be provided um, at cost to us or the opportunity to buy those. I think that's a great start for community benefit, um, especially because he is providing other community benefits um, like the land for the school and, and other things. So again, it's a great example of um, making sure that's available and kind of planning and thinking about mixed income and having you know, at least three houses that will be permanently affordable in this neighborhood um, if we're able to develop them. Uh, I think we all need to come up with, you know, what's our criteria for a percentage of 200 lots, you know, 
is is three lots enough, but I, it sure is better than zero lots. And I really appreciate um, being, a, being willing to kind of be the guinea pig of offering to partner with affordable housing. And I think we can continue to um, potentially if I bring funding to it, we may be able to even do more lots than that, um, but at least can start with those at cost. So I appreciate that. And um, I know I'll be able to continue to talk to the developer during the development process to potentially bring more affordability to the neighborhood. Thanks. Thank you, Ms. Buford. Um, I thought I saw a hand raised from Jason Kay. Did you have comments you wanted to offer, sir? Oh, okay. So it's three lots out of how many lots total? Uh, we can address that as part of the discussion. Did you have any other comments? No. Okay. We'll uh, we'll we'll talk about those sorts of things during the discussion. Thank you for that, sir. Uh, Michael Wait. Allman. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I have a question about drainage. Okay, go ahead. So the drainage will be completely collected on site from the residents. <laughs> okay. We will stormwater drainage. You know, gotcha. Stormwater drainage. Will it be collected on site? Right. Uh, I don't know, but we'll note your question and see if we can get answers during discussion. Thank you for that. Um, Michael Allman, go ahead. Okay, is the previous speaker finished? Yes. Okay, well, thank you. I'm Michael Allman, uh, speaking for the Sustainability Action Network. Lawrence doesn't have a green belt intended to contain sprawl, nothing that blunt. Instead, we have a comprehensive plan with sophisticated range of instruments that prioritize growth locations and density. The location of the proposed Williams annexation may be appropriate, but the proposed density is not. If our community is to avoid repeating at our perimeter, the inefficient low density sprawl witnessed for the last 50 years, then the perimeter is our last best chance to fulfill the increased density goal of plan 2040. The perimeter is also where the city affordable housing policy directs greater density to offset the inequitable preponderance of low moderate income housing on the east side. And the perimeter is where our energy expenditures for petroleum-derived asphalt, for electrical pumping of water and sewer, and the transportation fuels must be put to their best use if we ha have any hope of achieving the goals of the pending Climate Action Plan. Density greater than single dwelling zoning can accomplish all of these. The key will be 15-minute walkable neighborhoods and commercial nodes consisting of missing middle housing of duplexes, triplexes, townhomes, and live work structures that enable the transit economies of scale. And the key to that is, first of all, eliminating single dwelling zoning for all new construction. 
The 61-acre Williams annexation and zoning proposal is not occurring in a vacuum. It's the third major annexation case in less than a year. You would be unwise to review it in just its narrowly self-defined parameters rather than evaluating it in the larger context of the confluence of multiple community goals as noted earlier. Please deny the Williams annexation and particularly the RS5 single dwelling rezoning request. And please initiate a text amendment to eliminate all single dwelling zoning in new construction and instruct the uh, applicant he's welcome to resubmit a multi-dwelling application. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Allman. Any other members of the public um, on the call that would look like to offer public comment? Now is your chance, please raise your hand. Kyle Coe is planning, I'm not seeing any other hands going up at this time. Thanks, Kyle. Okay, then I will close public comment and we'll bring it back to the commission for discussion. Um, we have four, uh, four applications here to consider. Um, and I think we could probably just like we've done in the past, tackle them sort of all together. And then as things shake out, we've gotten to the end of the discussion, maybe we can go through each one of them. Uh, one by one. Does anybody want to start with any burning questions or comments they want to raise? Go ahead, Commissioner Carter. Thank you, David Carter, Planning Commissioner. I have a question for the applicant about the um, envisioned access road to the new uh, elementary school. Um, I know this is just a concept plan, but do you have a um, an idea of the likely alignment of that, where that would, what that would connect to and, and how it would approach the site. So David Hamby, BG Consultants. Um, there was a, a concept plan provided to planning, it's in your packet. And so there's actually two roads, three roads that feed into that. So uh, you can access the school district either direction. Apologies, I missed that in the, um, in the, in the plan, I'll take a closer look. Yeah, no problem. If you have any questions, just let me know. But basically, the Collector Street would would it would come off Hunter's Hill, and it would head west and then head north to the school district. Would be the main point of access into the school. Okay, Mr. Chair, do you mind if I ask a follow up question? Not at all. Okay, this is also to Mr. Hanby or to um, uh, the the superintendent of Perry LeCompton. Uh, schools who apparently is attending. Um, the question is um, what the kind of student watershed uh, would likely be for this uh, new um, elementary school. Um, the one concern that I have, uh, not just about traffic, but about safety, is along uh, 1750 and what 13, no, 1750 and 1130 roads, which go, um, it's basically the, the northeastern side of Martin Park. Um, that because the Lawrence Loop is not yet complete in that area, that road has very heavy bike traffic. And my expectation would be that um, cars coming in from rural areas, you know, coming down on what is it, East 1000 Road by Morningstar Church crossing I-70 would turn on 
1750 and approach you know the school from there and i'm i'm pretty concerned about um safety implications for heavier much heavier auto traffic and the interaction with bicycle traffic on that road not a deal killer but just i'm, I'm curious about um you know kind of mitigation i guess it would be sorry i apologize i'm more of a soliloquy than a question. Um, that's my concern. So the question is, um, what would be the anticipated sort of watershed of the student body? Well, I'm not <clears throat> sure if David uh, uh, has the answer to that one, but uh, again, in, in terms of numbers you're, you're looking at for that, if we initially looked at a K through six building up to three sections, uh, no more than 25 uh, students per section. So essentially 75 per grade level uh, would probably be the, the capacity there. And, and as far as the road you're talking about, as we looked at that initially, uh, we would anticipate that being a road for school bus traffic uh, it may be for um, people coming from that area in cars, but again, our other large area that we connect to right now would be the Lynx Apartments. So I think the easiest route to that, which is in our district, we would actually take Castle going north the Farmers Turnpike and come around just to, to skip a lot of the traffic lights. Uh, that kind of seems to be congested, especially in, in the early mornings before school. So. Um, that would be our general path right now. And, and to add to that, we would also look to uh, some experts to study that a little bit more as we got into that point as far as recommendations for that. Great. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Go ahead, Commissioner Rexrod. Thank you. Um, some follow-on questions for you, Mr. Elliott. Uh, um, I want to gain a better understanding of, of uh, location of this proposed school. Um, uh, I, I note in the, uh, the, the district map drawing that this is the, the proposed location is on the very, very edge of uh, 343. Um, actually within just a mile or two of um, some schools in 497. Um, I'm curious about that as a location, as opposed to something more central. Um, you should talk just a little bit about that. I think I have some follow-up questions as well. Absolutely. I think that's a, a very fair question. I, um, I'd also encourage you to look to see how close Free State High School is to that boundary as well to us. I mean, that, that kind of goes both ways. Um, and the reality is when, when you look in terms of potential uh, growth, uh, right now, the area that we're talking about, kind of when I say that area, within that that uh, that kind of apron boundary of K10 I70, uh, seems to be at least for potential for um, people who want to live there. Uh, whether that's we we realize that or not, I don't know. But uh, right now, you have to look at in terms of what land is available. I'm, I'm sure as, as you've been through this, yep. you know that, that not everybody is just willing to to work with a school to provide land. So in a situation like this where Mr. Williams came to us and we had discussions, uh, we were very eager to look at that in anticipation in five to 10 years, we could see uh, potential growth there that we would have to address because we are in the education business. And if there are kids there, we need to educate them. Sure. That makes sense. I, I appreciate that. Um, I wonder, and I, I think about, so with the, the district boundaries where they are, just take that for granted. And I, and I, I think about um, 
our growth plans, where our urban growth zones are, where Lawrence plans to expand residential. Um, much of that falls into that very edge of 343. And I, so I, I find myself wondering if because we're at a state in 497 where they're actually closing schools for lack of, of student volume, and I think I noted uh, some comments from, I think maybe it was from you that, that 343 doesn't yet have student population that would justify a new school, um, much less you know the funding that would have to go into it. It seems like we're a ways off from that. That combination of things has me wondering, does has 343 and 497 come together to talk about where those district boundary lines should be? And is there any potential that those boundary lines might change in the near future? based on all those things? Um, again, I, I cannot speak for 497, uh, but I can tell you from the 343 perspective, um, there is no interest in, in shifting those boundary lines. Um, you mentioned funding, and, and I'm gonna use that real quick to talk about um, the boundary lines. You know, districts are funded, mill levies, you know how those work, and uh, of course your, your valuation of property within those boundary lines um, as property valuations go up, then of course that helps your budget. At the same time, if you take property away from a district, it hurts your budget. It, it would be no different than, than the city uh, saying, would you be willing to give up budget dollars? So when you talk about shifting those boundaries uh, for us, uh, there, there's really no interest in that. And, and again, we have a very good working relationship uh, with 497. Um, we, we communicate frequently, um, know the administration there. Uh, so I would hope we would keep that in a very positive uh, working light going forward because uh, I have a lot of respect for the administrators there. Appreciate that, Mr. Elliott. One last question on this. Um, do you have a sense um, as you as you plan out into the future, um, how long it would be before all of the various assets, all the various indicators were there for you to begin building a school or when a school might exist? Because it's an important question because for some period of time, um, people that are looking at buying houses that have families there are looking at putting kids on a bus. Busing's fine, right? right? It's all well and good when it's needed, but they're looking at that as a requirement 20, 10, 15, 20 miles down the road um, today. So when do you think that that would be in place? Again, that's a, uh, that, that's a great question. And, and I don't have my crystal ball in front of me, but I can tell you I had the same question and so did our board. Uh, so we actually contracted with um, RSP out of, um, I think it's out of Overland Park. I think the Lawrence District has worked with those folks before just to give us some um, enrollment analysis for that. And again, what we find out is, is, is we're looking at between five and 10 years away. And again, these are projections and they're numbers. I don't know uh, all the variables behind this, but they're saying uh, anywhere uh, from 1,000 to 1,700 homes increase. That's a district-wide uh, because we're also seeing some growth in Jefferson County as well as the Douglas County side. So I would tell you uh, if we saw that come online, that would double the size of our district. And obviously we do not have the facilities to hold that. So again, we would do a study and look at where that, that hot spot for growth would be. And it makes sense to try to centralize where that growth is at in terms for your schools. 
because again, if you, if you have a larger growth area that's gonna be within that, that apron that I talked about, that K10 I-70, it would make more sense to have a school there to fit those needs so we wouldn't have kids on a bus you know, for 15, 20 minutes uh, like we have now. And, and again, right now, um, travel time uh, to the Lecompton Elementary School from, from that location is right at 15 minutes. Uh, but right now we also, oh, I'll, I'll add to that, we, we don't have stoplights and a lot of barriers there in the way. Uh, as you see growth, you're going to see that. So again, that would mean potential for a neighborhood school. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Elliott. Yes. Thanks for those questions, Commissioner Rexroad. Other commissioners? Go ahead, Commissioner Carpenter. Just to build on Commissioner Rexroad's conversation about the schools, it seems pretty ironic that we're claiming a community benefit to support the annexation, which is actually a, a lot for another school district. <laughs> As Commissioner Rexford pointed, <laughs> when we're talking about potentially closing schools in Lawrence, I mean, it just seems a little strange that this is considered a community benefit to the city of Lawrence, which is gonna be, you know, maintaining uh, all the infrastructure necessary to support this school from now on, you know, with, the Lawrence tax dollars, even though the same area is being taxed by a separate school district. I mean, I don't know that it has much to do with where we're going to go with this tonight, but it just seems odd to claim the community benefit for Lawrence that seems to be taking away from Lawrence at the same time. Commissioner Carter. Yes, uh, thanks, David Carter, Commissioner. Um, I, uh, uh, Commissioner Carpenter's observation reminds me of one that I made a few months ago when we were considering a, a, a similar uh, project out by uh, Rock Chalk Park. And I, I don't remember who it was who, who offered the rejoinder that, you know, th those families um, are going to need to send their kids someplace. And if they are currently in the Perry LeCompton School District, then that's you know that's the school district that, that's going to serve them. I think one thing I've been thinking about this, and you know, one thing that uh, that I try to maybe I'm just convincing myself to reconcile. For one thing, we are the Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission, and so I mean, in terms of serving the overall community that extends beyond Lawrence, even if it's within Lawrence. Uh, uh, boundaries. It's, um, I think it would be an effective way to serve those, those families and, and future families who are going, who are likely going to be living on, on as yet unannexed uh, property. But, and maybe I'm just, anyway, that's, that, that's my perspective on that. And I don't know if Commissioner Carpenter has anything to say in response to that. Well, I, I would just say that in this case, we're talking about annexing land into the city of Lawrence. This isn't a, really a county issue, um, even though I, I take your point. Um, I mean, the one community benefit I see here that I really like is preserving the Oak Hickory Forest. Uh, 
but I'm also, you know, listening to what Michael Allman had to say, even though I don't think that we can change the rules at this time, since we now have a consultant that's going to start working with changing <laughs> the overall rules, it seems, you know, initiating a text minute now when we're going to be changing the entire possibly changing the entire development code would seem an inopportune moment to start that process, but I do take the point. So I, I, I'm just struggling with some of the, I mean, these balances are just odd to me. We are now building, you know, to service another school district, and we're talking about closing neighborhood schools to make a neighborhood school for a new neighborhood. So, you know, this is, I don't know how to deal with that because I'm not a school board person. I don't follow the school board all that much, but I know that we've overbuilt the near, the schools as Lawrence has expanded, which has caused the dilemma where we're in now, where we're going to probably be closing schools that we're still going to be paying off the bonds that we just did improvements to. I mean, that's one of the options that's coming up. So. To me, is there's some absurdity in what we're doing right now, even though I know that this is the area that we've targeted for expansion and annexation into the city. So I'm just struggling with calling this an actual community benefit to justify the annexation into the city of Lawrence. Although there are some other benefits that meet that criteria. Go ahead, Commissioner Shanklin. I'd like to follow on what Commissioner Carpenter has been discussing, but also uh, first begin by stating that uh, for all the reasons that were so well articulated by Mr. Allman, I'll be voting against all four of these proposals. But the the schools is, is a really interesting topic to me because one way we think about sprawl is in looking at the duplication of municipal resources at the urban fringe in what amounts to being an inefficient way. And I'm looking at the, the status map for public schools in Lawrence since 2000. And it's interesting to note that uh, it looks like close to a dozen of them are either closed or repurposed since 2000. Um, and with the exception of the Wakarusa Elementary School south of town, all of them are at the urban core. Um, the, the new schools are all moving outwards, mostly to the west and a little bit to the south. But uh, we have almost 50% of the schools since 2000 that are closed or repurposed around the, the urban core. And that's where we should be putting uh, residences, not out at the fringe. So I, I'd be interested in other comments on this perspective, but uh, that that is... Um, you know, certainly a, a, an observation that we can make about the effects of our outward development. Thanks, Commissioner Shanklin. Mr. Chair, I have some thoughts, but I think Commissioner Willie might have wanted to say something. Oh. Go ahead, Commissioner Willie. Well, I'd say in terms of annexations that we've seen come forward, um, this is the first that has real community or looked 
or asked for from others. So I, I, I don't uh, parsing whose school district is serving Lawrence kids definitely serves the city of Lawrence. Those are Lawrence kids. Uh, we can't confuse the city of Lawrence and the Lawrence, though I know that that is a highly painful topic about schools. And maybe because I'm in the Baldwin School District, it is a little less so for me. But uh, this is this is a this is the kind of project that we should be looking for in terms of uh, meeting the community benefits. Um, it is a property that is not actually useful for what it's zoned for currently, but it has real roads and sewer lines and water lines stubbed out to serve it currently. Um, this checks all the boxes. So I recognize the density issue. I also recognize that we don't solve it by turning this down. Thanks, Commissioner Willie. Commissioner Carter. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I I guess I'm going to end up um, piggybacking on a lot of what uh, Commissioner Willie said. Um, you know, this does meet most of the, most, if not all, of the criteria that we have predefined for annexation. Uh, I think the applicant uh, applicants did their homework in terms of understanding the kinds of things that um, would conform to Plan Twenty Forty. Um, and um, I mean, it, in terms of access, in terms of 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 not degrading, um, uh, you know, arable farmland, in terms of offering the community benefit through uh, provision of open space and 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 land for public schools. Um, I mean, I I I. I recognize the points that uh, Mr. Allman has made, and I agree with them in principle. I think in this particular case, um, uh, you know, I think, you know, again, a similar case a few months ago, I talked about, you know, testing the public benefit, testing Plan 2040. And I think, in my, in my opinion, this, this meets and passes that test. I think the density issue is something that is going to be a broader uh, philosophical issue. Um, you know, I, for one, tend to look for higher density closer to collector streets, closer to commercial nodes. Um, and um, I, I personally, I'm not sure I'm ready to do away with single family zoning altogether. Um, so I'm, I'm broadly in favor of this. Um, the one thing that I just did want to say about schools. Um, as long as I've been on the planning commission, I have wanted as a you know mid-month topic to talk about the history of planning in the United States and how Lawrence, how different neighborhoods of Lawrence exemplify uh, the evolution of planning. And there's no doubt that the higher density schools in the eastern part of the city exemplify the neighborhood schools concept, which was you know, went hand in hand with how neighborhoods were developed in the 1950s and 60s. And as someone who grew up going to Lawrence Public Schools, and in fact, some of the schools that have been slated for closure, you know, I feel very personally about um, the idea of, of closing those schools. But looking in terms of the broader issue of where the community is going, I don't think we benefit those kids by turning down um, the possibility of providing um, a, a school to to this proposed neighborhood. Thanks, Commissioner Carter. Commissioner Rexford, go ahead. Thanks. Um, yeah, uh, I've 
thought quite a bit about the the districting issue and 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 you know just the common sense that it seemed to make you know the questions about closing schools and where schools are located and what I finally came to to conclude was that um, while I think there's a discussion that's warranted on where those district lines are based on how our growth plan uh, is stated and 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 uh, where students are and will be. Um, uh, it's not uncommon for cities to have multiple districts, school districts within the city. So I, I just set that conversation off as a separate side. We, we we have to provide for that. And right now, where those district lines are outside of um, planning uh, commission decision for sure. Um, I do have a, a, a question that I'd like to ask Mr. Williams um, if he's still on the phone um, on a the topic of, of what the plans are for actual development. Um, if if you are um, given the annexation, if you are given the, um, the zoning, um, what is your in plan and intention? Uh, when do you break ground? When are houses going to be built? Uh, good question. Um, my wife asked me that the other day. We actually live next to this property. Yeah. And, you know, we're just, we're kind of in the position now that we feel like now is a good time uh, to, to annex into Lawrence. We feel like, you know, lots are needed. Um, we're strong believers that Perry LeCompton School District is needed because they're busing their kids all the way across, you know, uh, down the farmer's turnpike to go to school. and. We believe in community schools. Um, so when it comes to breaking ground, uh, it's probably, if, if it was a perfect world, 12 months away. Um, it just takes a lot of time. Yeah, and it's also gonna be kind of, you know, things out of our control, the economy and the demand and all those things that, you know, are, are good today, but we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Yeah. I walked that ground uh, earlier in the week. Um, and the topography is interesting um, for development. Uh, there's a, a, some pretty steep slopes within there. There's a fair amount of rock um, yeah. runs right through the middle of that. Um, uh, as a developer, do you have experience working with those kinds of conditions? Is this going to be uh, brand new stuff for you? I bought this piece of ground from a developer and uh, he didn't develop it. So there is no doubt there's some tricky things to it, but we, we think that, you know, we've talked to our engineers, David Hamby and his team, and we've, we've gone over it. And we, we believe we can, we can definitely uh, provide a good product. All right, Mr. Williams, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for those questions, Commissioner Rexford. Other comments or questions from the commissioners about either the annexation or the uh, rezonings. I guess one thing I would add about the, the annexation request and the community benefit, and I, I guess I'd uh, join with Commissioner Carter and uh, Commissioner Willie, um, I've found myself on sort of the side of being a real uh, stickler on the community benefit and not being satisfied with some of the ones we've seen so far since the comprehensive plan um, was adopted. But I, I fear 
I, I, I fear setting the bar too high if something like what we have in front of us tonight doesn't meet um, the community benefit standard. Uh, we 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 see three in my mind three separate uh, community benefits uh, between preserving those um, uh, the native woodlands, uh, providing affordable housing, um, albeit perhaps a little less than you'd like to see, um, and and the school with you know with uh, Commissioner Carpenter's current concerns noted. I guess one question I would have. <clears throat> With respect to the, sorry, my nose is running like crazy. Uh, with respect to the affordable housing, um, and this might be a question for Ms. Buford, uh, is there currently, uh, Ms. Buford, is there anything legally binding in place that would require the applicant to actually um, provide those three lots and maybe others at cost? Um, and I ask that question simply because uh, it's being presented as a community benefit, but it might be something that I'm, I guess I'm trying to get at whether it's something that would actually uh, come to fruition. I don't know if you're still there. <clears throat> and if, uh, oh, looks like you're muted. Yes, I am, um, Commissioner. Uh, I do, we don't have anything um, written out and, you know, signed on the dotted line yet, but I, we certainly can provide that or, I, you know, I guess I will stick to it and make sure that the developer follows through. <laughs> um, and I think that they are willing to and, and will continue to have good discussions about and potentially be able to bring some funding to do more. You know, his commitment as community benefit is, you know, that at cost lots and maybe we can discover other ways to really make sure afford permanent affordable housing is there at, to a greater extent. Okay, thank Sorry, thank you. Uh, but <clears throat> sort of uh, binding nature uh, aside, I, I, I still stand by my other comments, I think we're hoping for annexations to come with some sort of benefit to the community. I, I, I don't feel like this is one that we should be, um, you know, sort of looking down our noses at. But does anybody else have thoughts on on that or the uh, request to rezone, uh, Commissioner Willie? I just wanted to make sure that we give some voice to uh, some of the rural concerns that we did hear in our in our public comment in our packet. And I know it's been uh, mentioned and, and Mary had mentioned it that none of the roads for this annexation uh, development will come off of those county roads. They'll all come from current city streets, but down the line with uh, you know, potential school and, you know, the, the, the next set of development, like that those changes, those big changes are still coming. We don't necessarily, we're not shutting that door in particular. So I just want to make sure that it, we recognize that, you know, there's a, there's a real loss in that change. Um, no matter how, how many boxes this particular property checks for annexation, which I think it very much does, um, that is not a big consolation for the people who live next to it, who've been on the edge of town and who have that, you know, wild viewscape that they enjoy. With, um, I think this is the, an, an appropriate future for that property, but that is still a 
just a hard thing to take in when you happen to be the neighboring landowner and that's been what you anticipated for your property. But uh, I just wanted to make sure that we, we give some voice to that because uh, we didn't hear from people in, in person, but we did certainly get a lot of uh, comments in the letters that were sent. Go ahead, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, <clears throat> I agree with you that this meets the, the criteria of the community benefit. It's just that the, the one really <laughs> seems contradictory to me in some ways and ironic. Um, but it is set up, it's easily connected to city infrastructure. It's setting aside land uh, for a community benefit. It is, I mean, this is, this is a logical step to the expansion of the city. <laughs> We have other issues that that play into it, and you know whatever my personal feeling is on that, um, and the misgivings I have about some of what's happening with with our city's expansion and school districts and other the rest of the you know the schools in the older neighborhoods, um, it meets the planning criteria, so whether I have those misgivings or not, it's, <laughs> I'm gonna vote for the annexation because this one meets those criteria. But I, in our conversation, I think is, I hope it's something that the city commission takes up because we've heard talk, well, I've heard talk for as long as I've been in Lawrence about the need for the city uh, to communicate better with the school board. And we've never seen it come to fruition. Uh, they seem to go their own separate ways. And this is the logical result of all those years of not working together. And we're reaping what's been sowed by past commissioners, uh, planning commissioners, city commissioners, school board members. This is, this is where we are now. And I don't know how we dig ourselves out of it in a satisfactory way for the entire community. Uh, but uh, as planning commissioner, this meets the criteria. However reluctant I am to, to go along with everything that's included in it. Commissioner Carpenter, I just, I completely agree with you. I mean, this is why I asked the city manager the question about the school uh, board decisions when he was with us, because I, I agree, I think there's a lack of communication there. Um, but yeah, I, 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 uh, I understand and, and agree with your concerns. Um, commissioners, any, uh, um, any other questions? About that, I think most of our discussion is, is focused on the annexation, which, you know, in truth is is probably the uh, the the most uh, controversial, for lack of a better better word, um, of the four. But does anybody have questions or comments about um, 
Any of the three rezonings? Discussion that you need to have about those? Uh, just simply to raise the concern about, you know, we rezone to RS5. That's the minimum lot size. It doesn't say that that's what the lot sizes are going to be. And that is something that has to be addressed in the updated land development code. Um, because as we've heard before with RS5 zoning, ask the question, these could be 15, 20 acre lots in RS5 zoning. Um, so we have to take sort of a leap of faith that we're going to see actual RS5 lots in RS5 zoning under our current code. But, you know, that's just, a, that's where we are right now. Agreed. Um, not to put you on the spot, Commissioner Shanklin, but uh, I think you had mentioned that you were a, a vote in opposition to all four items. And I was just curious if you had any additional thoughts on the rezoning requests. Um, no, I, I, I don't. It's I, I think it's a bad project all around, notwithstanding that it may meet some of our criteria. Very good. Thank you. Um, I don't want to force everyone's hand or, or make people think we're trying to draw this to a premature conclusion, but um, if people don't have, if commissioners don't have other thoughts or comments they want to make, I mean, maybe we ought to start thinking about kind of going through each of the items and the votes that we have to take on them um, and see if there'd be anybody that would want to make motions. Uh, we could start with the, um, with 2A, the request to annex. Would anybody want to make a motion on that particular item? Commissioner Rexrod? I'd uh, make a motion that we approve A-22-00050 requested annexation of approximately 61 acres based on the findings of the body of the staff report and that we forward uh, that approval request to the city commission with our recommendation for approval. Clumsily said, but that's my motion. <laughs> That was very eloquent. Thank you, Commissioner Rexford. So a motion to approve um, annexation and forwarding it to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval. Um, does anybody besides Commissioner Shanklin want to second that one? <laughs> Commissioner Willie, uh, seconded by hand motion. Thank you for that. Any other um, comments or discussion before we have a vote? Okay. Uh, Jeff, would you mind reading the roll? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? No. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes five to one. Okay, thank you for that, everybody. Does anybody, um, feel up for making a motion on item 2B, which is rezoning the eight acres um, to GPI district. Commissioner 
Commissioner Rexroad? Yeah, sure. I, I'll, I would uh, make a motion that we uh, approve the request to rezone Z-22-00051, approximately eight acres located east of 1760-1100 Road from CP District to GPI District um, and forward to the City Commission with a, a request to approve. Thank you, Commissioner Rexroad. Made a motion to approve the rezoning and forwarding it to the City Commission with a recommendation for approval. Um, can I have a second on that motion? No. Commissioner Willie, thank you for that. Um, any other comments or discussion on that one? Seeing none, Jeff, can you read the roll? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? No. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes five to one. That takes us to um, item 2C, which is the uh, request to rezone 12.2 acres from CP to OS district, open space. Um, does anybody care to make a motion on that one? I'm happy to. <laughs> You're the designated here on these. <laughs> Go ahead. Move we approve a rezoning Z-22-00052, approximately 12.2 acres from CP to the OS district, based on the findings presented in the staff report and forward to the city commission with a recommendation for approval. Right, Commissioner Rexford, thank you for that. I, Actually, I, need, I need to modify that. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I, need to, I, need to, I need to append that and also say, and subject to the conditions listed in the staff report. Thank you. you so we have a motion to approve the rezoning and forwarding it with a rec recommendation for approval to the city commission subject to the conditions. Can I have a second on that? Thank you, Commissioner Carter. Seconded by hand motion. Any other discussion from the commission before we vote? Okay, Jeff, could you read the roll, please? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? No. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes five to one. Very good. Um, you know, before we vote on the last one, I guess I would just say I'm, I'm somewhat saddened that we only have six of the 10 of us tonight because I think the other four may have contributed to the discussion quite a bit. Um, but that said, it's just the six of us. So let's move on to item 2D, um, which is the uh, request to rezone 40.8 acres um, from the Clustered Preservation District to RS5. Uh, would anyone care to make a motion on that particular item? Shall I bring it home? Go for it. I move we approve rezoning Z-22-00053, approximately 40.8 acres um, from CP district to RS5 district based on the findings listed in the staff report and forward, the application to the city commission with a recommendation for approval. 
Thanks, Commissioner Rexroad. Motion to approve it and send it to the City Commission with a recommendation of approval. Do we have a second? Commissioner Willie, thank you. Seconded by hand motion. Um, so on this last one, any further comments or discussion before we vote? Okay, seeing none. Jeff, can you read the roll, please? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? No. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes five to one. Very good. And if I'm not mistaken, which I could be, I think that's all the items on our regular agenda, um, which takes us to uh, section D, our miscellaneous new or old business. Um, is there anything, Jeff, that we need to consider tonight in that area? Nothing for your consideration, just one item to add. Um, <laughs> COVID depending, as we now say in the universe, is that we are contemplating bringing the board back in person for the meetings as a potential option. So given what we'll see in the community on the numbers and things, we wanted to just kind of plant that seed that that would be what we're kind of moving towards, hopefully. That would also be a reinstatement of your mid-month meeting at its uh, pre-COVID standard time of Wednesday morning, not during your Monday meeting as a potential item. So. More to follow on that front, but just wanted to give you information in FYI since we may have some option to move in that direction soon. And is Otherwise, that, oh, sorry, Jeff, is that something that you anticipate being a possibility for the May meetings or are we looking for some time after that? June. It's at the moment we're probably looking at June, but again, it just all depends on where we're at in the universe and we'll see where we're, we're going, but that's that's our hope at the moment. So there's a chance we may be able to send uh, Karen and Julia off in person. Could be, yes. <laughs> um, uh, is And you said there was going to be an option. Like, is there going to be an option to uh, stay online? Or can you elaborate on that? We're looking at, at ways that the meeting can be run hybrid for that reason. There, there may be individuals that can't or would like to not come back. And so we're trying to figure out how to accommodate both kind of a hybrid format from what we're running instead of just a, a full zoom versus a full in person so lots of logistics and things that we've got to work out and and, and get through but we're hoping to be more in of a hybrid situation for those that would like to have that potential but, but like i said it's all a little dependent on where we're at with all the other stuff so okay. if good. i may i i would oh forgive me i should have raised my hand <laughs> um uh, i would really strongly support the hybrid approach for a while um, if that had not been available tonight, I would not have attended because I had a recent COVID exposure. And while I'm negative, I would not have come in person and we would not have had a quorum. So <laughs> there you go. Noted. Okay. Uh, is there anything else that we need to take up or for the good of the order? Commissioner Willie? I'm sorry, I do have one thing, and that came out of our, our, our Monday meeting um, that kind of brought this to a head, but it's been brewing in the community for quite a lot of years, and and that is uh, that the uh, rural home business regulations are um, 
pretty outdated and pretty arduous for, for people that, that have to go through a public process. There's also a no variance process with those. So you either meet all the rules or you don't get to meet any of them. Um, so so I had a conversation with Tanya Voigt and she was pretty eager for us to initiate a text amendment to that effect to allow um, staff to um, revisit the home business rules for uh, rural home business one and two, and also agritourism to see if we can give some guidance on how much of that process could possibly be administrative and save staff time coming to our meetings and length of our meetings and also be just easier on the public uh, for those um, business owners that uh, have, have quite a lot of hoops to jump through. So I would put that out for discussion. I don't know if that gets to have a vote tonight or if there's some other process with that, but Mr. Chair, I put that to your discretion. Wonderful. Um, do any commissioners have any uh, comments on that or thoughts? Just that we've initiated text amendment on the fly with less discussion than this. So, uh, I don't know if that's something that we want to hear information on. I mean, uh, Commissioner Willie might have some insight from uh, Tanya whether they want to give some information to guide what kind of amendment that would be or whether they just want something now. <clears throat> you put me in the awkward position of speaking for someone else. Um, I, I do think that uh, Tanya has some 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 pretty well informed thoughts on kind of what should be on the table for discussion uh, to help us move forward. But I, I know that part of it was to see if we can give enough guidance on a checklist of things that could be processed administratively was a, a big issue to kind of save save time and um, energy in the public meetings. Would if we were to ask, say, Tanya to kind of do a little bit of a, um, a presentation on the need for one, would that be work basically that would be done if we just initiated the text amendment? I'm trying to think if we could avoid duplicating work for Tanya or whoever from county staff that would be doing that. I imagine Jeff could answer that better than I could. <laughs> Commissioner Sinclair, is is the ask for the presentation the duplicative work? I'm I'm not sure I'm yeah. following. Yeah, I mean, if we were to like, if I am understanding Commissioner Carpenter's questions, like, I, I agree to, to some extent that it might be nice to hear from um, from Tanya or someone from the county, kind of explaining uh, a little more detail, like what is the what's going on currently and why it would be worthwhile looking at a text amendment and then initiating it based on that. But at the same time, that sort of presentation, the preparation that goes into that might be what they would be doing anyways if we just initiated a text amendment for them to look at this and figure out if there's a way to, to streamline it. Uh, I, I think in that instance, if the commission would like more information, I think a, a, a very quick memo would probably be able to suffice and carry the information forward to you because I think the, the actual amendment itself may be a little bit more in depth. So I don't know if it would necessarily duplicate work, but it might give give you a better sense of scope and parameters for what you'd be initiating potentially. Go ahead, Jim. 
I, I would personally, I just like the problem identified a little bit. Um, just so that we aren't uh, <laughs> initiating a overly broad um, directive. And is this something that's more targeted to specific code sections or something? You know, are we going to revamp specific parts of the, the county code or <laughs> look at everything? I, that's that's what I think a memo would help us with. I think I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, I'm not sure what the best way to do that. I mean, who would communicate that to Tanya? Would that be Commissioner Willie or uh, Jeff? Would you be doing that? <laughs> I would. I would happily be able to talk with Tanya and con convey the uh, commission's uh, preference for that. And we'll we'll try to get that on the next agenda as, as feasible for as probably miscellaneous business, since it's not necessarily uh, an action or uh, excuse me, not an action item. Um, uh, an uh, application item mm -hmm. at this moment, but we'll work to find the next feasible uh, next. I should not talk at this late hour. Apparently, find the next agenda that works, and we'll get that on there for you. That sounds good to me. Are, are you okay with that, Commissioner Willie? Yes, it sounds fine to me. Very good. Um, anything else? Chair, if I may, I just wanted to put in a, a plug um, for the. Planning Commission orientation, just a reminder that that's scheduled for May 20th. And um, as we get that um, agenda and everything um, finalized, we'll have more information out. Great. Oh, and Becky, just uh, and Jeff, I don't need a, a little room to be able to go into. I'll, I'll be free the whole day. Uh, but if that's it, Sorry, that was may have sounded weird, but I had a work conflict <laughs> that Jeff and Becky were really accommodating about, and so they could give me some space to. And it's been taken care of. I'll I'll be available the whole day. <laughs> it wasn't your safe room, <laughs> exactly. And when I get uncomfortable with the discussions, they're going to let me <laughs> run away <laughs> into a padded room. Um, okay, and nothing else. Very good. Uh, can we have a motion to adjourn then? So moved. Thank you, Commissioner Carter. How about a second? Second. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Uh, Jeff, can you read the roll, please? Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Shanklin? Yes. Commissioner Sinclair? Yes. Commissioner Willie? Yes. Motion passes six to zero. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next month. Thanks all. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.